Welcome back to the Pure Cinema Holiday Edition. We are meant to be on summer holiday, and yet somehow we are here recording for you. How did this happen, Brian? I don't know, but I, I do know that I have a drink in my hand, so uh, I'm definitely in summer mode. So. Yeah, I'm in summer mode. Uh, you know what? We could not stay away, and we got something kind of special on our hands, and so we decided that we couldn't wait you know, another month before giving this to you guys, and especially some people who are going to be super interested. Um, so we decided to make kind of like a, when comic books would have runs, they'd have that like special spotlight issue or that uh, kind of, you know, extra fat uh, issue that kind of comes out of the blue. Uh, so for us, that's going to be this episode, right? Yeah, we. I mean, we were originally planning to drop it in, you know, three or four episodes into season two, but then we talked about it and we're like, this one this one feels like it should go out sooner and uh yeah so part of what we did is uh if you if you follow either of us on anything prior to even this show's existence you will know that we both have a real love for the label code red video um it's i i guess my my catchphrase occasionally on on shockwaves was that it's like you know it's the uh island that uh, cinephiles wash up on once they think they've seen everything like you feel at a certain point, like you've seen all, you, you hear Criterion films and you're like, okay, I've seen it all. And then I get to code red titles and I'm like, what the hell is that movie? Like, I have never heard of this thing. And I'll watch it. And often they're actually really good or entertaining and strange. And that is something that's getting harder the more, t- more movies I've seen in my life, getting harder to have that, that feeling. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And it's it's definitely a thing where I don't know why I'm so compelled to buy. I mean, it may be sort of the model that they have as far as things, um, you know, being limited run and going out of print and being gone forever and being really expensive. Although lately it seems like um, there haven't been too many titles that have totally gone away. Um, but like if you missed Savage Streets or neon maniacs and there, I mean there's a bunch of stuff that you can't get anymore so that's definitely part of it too and it might not be forever I mean part of the uh, so well let's to cut you in so something that me and Brian had talked about we were really excited at the idea was trying to sit down and talk uh, with the one man band that is Code Red which is uh, you know Code Red Bill Olson and you know it took a little bit of wrangling for us to make it happen and he was super kind to come in and sit with us for a good you know 90 minutes we had to edit it down a little because it was obviously a you know long interview uh so we we decided we wanted to build our show in our same unique way but this was a straight interview for, rather than him you know doing a five uh so after the interview, so the interview portion's about an hour. After that, we, me and you count down, you know, our five films because. So, you know, there's a little something for everyone. If you're more of an interview fan and really interested in uh, Bill, you get the interview. And then afterwards, we're following it up with five titles that we want to help promote. Um, but a big part of why we're putting this out early is because we want to support his business. We want people to become aware of I guess the kind of cutthroat nature and difficulties that are inherent in independent film distribution, especially with physical media uh, outside of the companies. You know, a lot of your favorite labels. Uh, you know, we did Screen Factory uh, in season one. Our spotlight on them, uh, and you know, it is a company, so they still have a lot of you know same same issues. I'm sure overhead and different issues, but we are talking about one man. Yeah, I mean, as you'll hear in the interview, he 
he is the guy. I mean, there's not much else. You know, you think, oh, he must have people helping him. But there's really not much in the way of help. And so just... I guess it was it was eye opening for me being such a fan of them of what he does and realizing how it's just one guy um, blew my mind a little bit and maybe a little bit of the misinterpretation of the internet. I think the internet is not a great place for things like sarcasm and certain types of humor and things that get lost. And I think, you know, I mean, I've always heard, you know, you always hear on the internet, oh, Code Red Bill's crazy, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, because of certain interactions with people who are writing him directly because he is his entire PR staff, uh, you know, we can both attest like we that is not the case. This is a you know, this is a really actually funny, kind uh, and fun, fun person to sit down with for, you know, an hour and a half. And. Uh, if anything, you just see how the business can really be tough. Yeah, I mean, another thing the internet is great for is is people complaining, and sometimes justifiably, and sometimes not, often not. And uh, I just, it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough to be, like you said, a one-man band doing what he does and, um, you know, trying to eke out a living. It, it, I don't know, it was, it was quite a quite a neat discussion to, to hear sort of what goes on and his perspective, you know, in person. I, I just, I thought it was nice to get his take on things. Yeah. It was, it was really intriguing. And, and we, and we learned a lot. I think we both were kind of moved by the whole thing. Absolutely. Um, so we have that interview coming up for you. Uh, then we'll be counting down our five because, um, you know, do us a favor. If, if any of the films they've released have meant something to you, regardless of what they are, you know, do do him a solid and just like write to him saying something about a movie you, you love that they put out there because I don't think our, our our gut instinct from the interview as you'll hear isn't that 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 happens very much and I feel like whiles do this you know if you're not doing it to get the movies out there uh, you know it'd be nice for them to hear that um, other in terms of other business uh, we also have launched our Patreon. Uh, account and so I know some people don't know what the hell that is uh, and that's fair enough uh, you quick quick explanation uh, patreon is a pretty cool service wherein um, people can support artists that they like and that can be somebody that does literal artwork like painting and drawing um, a lot of podcasts use it and basically what you can do is sign up to give a monthly donation and a lot of the um, Patreon uh, people that use it do a tiered system where you have, for instance, we have $1 is you get to get you access to our Patreon community and our internal thanks and $5 uh, gets access to bonus content, which we have our first bonus episode and it is a full episode of the show <laughs> it wasn't intended to be no definitely we, we're i mean we will be doing more bonus content um and that's w- what we hope to entice people to um join our patreon for but uh we intended the first episode to be a little longer but we went full length basically um just shy of what we normally do so, kind of like a welcome. We wanted to welcome the people who had, we have, as of recording this tonight, uh, 90 patrons had already signed up, and uh, which is fantastic, you know, and, and the support of those people, they're all excited to do it, which is really cool. So we dropped like a 90 minute 
uh, episode, which is a continuation of our very first episode ever, which is the Handshake Five. So this is like another five of our kind of self-defining Handshake movies. It was a lot of fun. And the only way you can hear that one is on the Patreon. So it'll never, I mean, you know, probably never be available outside of that place. So uh, part of it will be like dropping extra content, you know, between seasons will be cool for people needing their fix. Yeah. And it's patreon.com slash pure cinema pod. If you want to go there and, uh, and check it out. And if it seems like we're hitting this pretty hard in the social medias in here, it's because we just launched it. And I'm sure as we go, we'll, we'll, you know, be focused less on that. We just want to make sure people know it exists. So as you're not missing out on the cool stuff, uh, and you know, we'll, it will comment from there. Uh, before we hit, hit the, uh, the Bill Olson interview, uh, also just want to mention like in season one, we did, there's a handful of movies that we, uh, will not be on our, you know, on our fives cause we already, uh, mentioned them in other lists. So in case you're wondering, those are note taking savage streets, rituals, don't go in the house rivals and Julie darling are all code red titles. Uh, their availability unknown unless you're on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, they're, yeah. I, except for Savage Streets, I want to say they're all... Rituals available. just came back up, and that's exciting. Like, Rituals was gone for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it's it sold out again, but it's definitely up on the site. You you will want to check. My uh, feeling is if you guys are... Anything we talk about, if you're passionate enough and, and keep keep on Bill, maybe he'll bring them back. You never know which ones. All right. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome uh, Bill Olson of Code Red Bill uh, to our show. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, something I've never read about uh, with you or the, or the company, I've never really read how you initially kind of uh, what age you were when you started to fall in love with movies and especially like genre movies and stuff. Well, I'm curious to know. All my life, yeah, you know, watch movies and stuff, but you know. Was it, were there particular kind because it's you and your brother too, I imagine, right? From Scorpion. Yeah, yeah. We basically, uh, you know, we had a video store. So. As a family, you grew, growing up, or you guys when you were older? You we had actually, a, when we got like. Well, I worked in the video store uh, when I was like 18, 19. I, this guy was trying to sell off his two video stores, and we said, okay, we'll buy the furniture, we'll take it over. So we took it over, and that's how it's, we started. Was that at the high point where things were really booming no, for the VHS? No, it was pretty no. low point. <laughs> so it's at the end? was killing us. Oh, so you Food came in at the end. was killing us. Uh-huh. Food Mall. People had to wait in line. Hopefully, Food Mall will get that one copy of La Bamba and <laughs> get it off me, you know. It was that bad. It was then uh, broken even every day. And was there a sign to get out of that? Like, did you know going into distribution was that uh, on purpose, or did you just meet a lot of people that helped you get into that? Uh, well, we met people in the VHS companies, like Media Home Videos, uh, Transworld, all those companies, and I wrote their names down, everything, and Columbia and all that. And I said, if I start going back writing, maybe I could get get them to look at my stuff. And I met actors. They actors show up to say hello to the all the video stores to pick up the tapes. Dolph Rundgren, those guys, and oh, they're, they're meeting. And Chris Smokey's one guy I met and wound up becoming friends with. Oh, yeah, from Twin Peaks. Yeah, other people. Yeah. And uh, I said, "Well, let's go down to L.A. Maybe I'll take some of my script and maybe it'll work out." And left the store alone, and then slowly died. <laughs> and I was in L.A. Torrance and Hawthorne was, was my headquarters, and try to get movies made. And unfortunately. It was not easy as you think. <laughs> now there's any bozo with a Best Buy camera can make a movie. Yeah, not necessarily not a good back one. Back <laughs> then, you got to do a movie. You got to get film. Uh, Dick Miller's the first guy I met. He said he helped me, and I said, "Should I go to talk to Roger Corman?" He goes, "Don't talk to Roger. <laughs> he won't move up. He won't hire you." 
I'll help you out. And it's like he introduced me to Bob Forster. Huh? It's eighty it's eighty nine, Bob Forster, all these people and you know, I did little things, but not big enough. So were, did you end up selling the VHS stores or were they places you couldn't even well, sell they, it at they, that point? They, they closed. I yeah. didn't pay the rent, they put the padlock all right. on one of the stores. The other uh-huh. one we, we took everything out, so it just it's tough, you know. It's, it's yeah. no one rents. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's a tough business. So how do you get that first title? Like, like how do you launch a company, and how do, why did you guys decide to start Code Red? Uh, well, I just thought of all the movies out there, you know, what rented, what's a cult movie. Uh, Bill Lustig used to come up, come to my home and used to rent my movies because he have stuff that he can't find anywhere. And he started, uh, what's it, The Blue Underground. Blue no, yeah. but at the time, Anchor Bay. Uh-huh. And he was making a lot of money. I said, well, he's making all this money. I mean, you know, more money than I ever thought saw in my life. I, could, I guess I could do the same. So that's what I did. So, so you got into the distribution while it was still on the upswing. Yeah, DVDs. Yeah, Best Buys still picks up the thing. But unfortunately, a little tail on the Best Buys. They weren't, they weren't giving, they were taking a lot and giving a lot of back. Uh, Dead Pit was one victim of Best Buy. One side ordered stuff. One side gave stuff back. So they ordered 500 copies. They gave back 700. Same day they ordered. It kept pin-palming, ping, keep circling around. And in the end, they kept pressing more and more. And I got all these dead pits sitting in, in the vault right now. Oh, that's good because I don't have that one yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll come buy one for you to <laughs> help ease the pain. But, it's, it's, but finding the distributor is pretty tough because uh, it, I was blacklisted. A lot of... Uh, a lot of one label didn't, wasn't happy, uh, didn't want me around. It wasn't Lustig. Uh, I couldn't find anyone. And uh, John Silva, my brother was dealing with John Silvello, and Silvello goes, well, Media Blast. He goes, I could hand you stuff, but you're not going to make much money. I mean, it's really tough out there. I said, okay, well, we'll give you five titles, and let me know how it works out. And uh, it wasn't working out that much. It didn't sell that many. Yeah. So, And Cliff McMullen. Yeah, from What Factor. Beyond the Door. So he said, look, I'll, I'm working with Navarre. Navarre has all these companies like uh, UFC, uh, Mexican things, and what's that one? TNA Wrestling. Huh. We have all this stuff. I could convince them to get you because I want to be on the door. So I said, okay, fine. So had to deal with Navarre, ended with uh, uh, Media Blaster, and uh, they distributed my stuff. So no other labels could say, don't sign me up because Cliff McConnell is not going to listen to them. That's why Colwright moved on. After Syllabella and Cliff McMullen, it moved on. It takes two other labels to help out. Right. While so, others, while this particular maggot went to see me fall. And when you so when somebody's blacklisting, you mean like they're they're saying bad things about you behind your back, which makes it impossible to make well, deals. When I find distributors. He called them, and suddenly they they're not friendly to me anymore. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Because he says, "Don't sign them up. Don't sign me up." Don't sign them up. Not me up. Don't sign them up. Yeah. So he's afraid. But anyway. And that, and that I assume. God, been... God, if there's no God, but if there's God, <laughs> but if there they, will, they, will resp- they will give him what he deserved. Yeah. But against certain laws, they, they throw these guys in a fire. So I guess he'll be in a fire in real life. But, Wait, and know. is this just because it's such a competitive market? Because I yes, know like it's cut everyone's throat, competing. Yeah. business. It's really disgusting. And uh, you can't really have friends in the labels. There's some little labels friendly, but you know they always think about themselves first. You know, if they hear you're gonna die, they'll wish you're dead. Jeez. They're that crazy. Huh. A uh, few guys I'm having trouble recently. They they they're bonafide insane. They should go see a psychiatrist. So 
Police should look up their record. I'm sure there's something in the <laughs> record that they're bona fide insane people. But anyway, that doesn't matter. So, so what makes it worth doing? Is it the love of movies? Like, is that the thing I that's kept you going? I love a movie, but it seems that there's no audience in these things. Look at Zeta, The Revenge of the Dead. I mean, I'm about to buy people, that one. People wanted it. this so bad. I what he sold 380 copies. That's it. How, do you have uh, when you license it? Do you have a limit of how many you can do? Like a thousand or? Well, we did limit two thousand with a yeah. special cover, and uh, people say, "Oh, it's so great! Oh, so great!" And it's like, "Yeah, but you know, you say that, but I don't deep down, you're not going to buy it." Yeah. And you know, overseas people come with it's unfair. You can't ship it to me. It's like I, if I ship it to you, I get sued. Ah, right. Because uh, oh, yeah. my contract says U.S. only. There's right. a British company that uh, seemed like copying me. Uh, he ships worldwide. Overseas company don't do shit to them. But if I do overseas shipping, oh, they'll come after me. Uh, right. two, two punk kids in England could get away with it, but I can't get away with it. Yeah, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth getting a lawsuit. It's yeah. a stupid movie. But Does does Diabolic ship overseas? I can't remember now. Yeah, they, 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 so, they, so you can get your movies overseas via them? Yeah, but you know, like I said, if they do it, they do it. I'm not me. So. Sure, yeah. Stay their way, right? You know? And is it better for people in general to buy? I was going to ask you that anyway, but is it better you bring up Diabolic? Is it better for people to buy directly from you guys or to use Diabolic? I assume it's better no, directly. Whatever, whatever they could get. From okay, them. I mean, but it doesn't affect you guys financially if well, they, they buy get through. they get a cut. I yeah, mean, yeah, they get a cut. Uh, I want to go back to the first. Yeah, the, what's yeah. the first title you guys put out? Is Don't Go in the Woods, right? Yeah. Uh, how did you? I mean, how did? Because we always fantasize. Oh, there's so many movies you'd love to put out, but of course we know from people talking to people like you and Cliff that it's too cutthroat for us to get into. But <laughs> there's still titles that we would love to put out. But how did you get that first title and get it out there? Did, was it a relationship you already knew the people who made it, or? Uh, well, I knew people that knew James Bryan, and I just said that was a, that was a pretty uh, crazy movie. I should uh, ask him if it's available, and he said it was. And then I made. Then he needed a print, so I bought a print. And uh, he still has that print. And then he found the negatives from uh, Mark Borde, who was a distributor, and it gave it back, gave him the movie back. So, but that was one thing. Uh, you know, fortunately, it's not with me anymore. Are there many uh, movies that you started like early on? Were you trying to put out the things that you like really loved, or was it just a matter of like what can we get like at a certain price point when you first started? Uh, I got a lot of stuff, but it's you know after a while you put out like you know a couple hundred movies. After a while, it's like blends together. Can't do the love anymore. It's kind yeah. of like you just put it out and hopefully it'll stick and. But I see, like, in terms of the amount of extras and restoration you guys do, I sometimes do feel that. Like, one of my favorite things anyone's put out in the last couple of years was your Messiah of Evil oh, yeah. release, which I think was just gorgeous. Well, and Quality Cats and Willard Hike have helped out. Everyone helped out. Right, so they're behind it. So it helps to have the artist really backing what you're up to. Yeah. It seems like you get that a lot. It seems like you get filmmakers usually. I mean, not usually, but a good percentage of the time you've got them involved. Yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you source your prints? Like, where, if you can say, like... How do you find a print for a movie like Messiah of Evil? I guess with the filmmakers, maybe they had a, a print of it. Or... Uh, Messiah of Evil, I think they donated a print to the... Uh, archive? Archive. Huh. And uh, that's all they had, and that was a pristine print. So we took that. And unfortunately, they're running out to the people, so they're plattering it and killing it right now. But oh. <laughs> that's the problem. But, you know, I did find... I did. I think I might have found a negative, so maybe we could re-release it one Ooh. day. Who knows? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see. That's exciting. That movie Make is... sure it's complete. You know, we need to complete, but... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it, lo- it looked great. Because it had another title, right? Like, Dead People at one point? Yeah, Dead People. I once saw a print of it with that title, and I wondered if the cuts were any different. Probably not. I assume they're... Well, the, my, my version didn't have that sign. Oh, yeah. An awful lady singing. Yeah, yeah. 
well, it's not awful, but yeah. I guess she was a girlfriend of one of the distributors. Right, distracting, yeah. I did talk to the last distributor movie, uh, Bill Links. He did Dead Time Stories and uh, oh, yeah, a bunch yeah. of... And he said he, had, he might have a trailer of... What's, what's it? He had another title, Revenge of the Living Dead or something? Yeah, yeah. That He got sued. Romello sued him when he used that title. Uh, he had a trailer which he used as secretary as, as a victim. He kept saying, well, mail it to me, mail it to me. He never did. So it's not on the disc. Huh. But he has he has one. A trailer that is that he made, but oh well. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't keep it all. Um, something we're, I was curious about is when it says sold out uh, on your site or out of print. I guess you guys put sometimes with titles. Is that a matter of you no longer have licenses, or is it a matter of you had a certain number of units you were allowed to do? The ones I'm thinking of, like Soul Survivor. Of all the movies I've seen from your stuff, that was the movie that most blew me away. Just I'd never heard of it. And it was like discovering some little gem. It was like the pre-Final Destination or something. Well, it was a, it was in Best Buys. It was in yeah. every store. Just no one bought it. <laughs> yeah. But when it says, because I, I go to your website, and there'll, there'll well, be certain out-of-print ones. I found still sitting around. So oh, I just okay. Put, I just put it in. You know, occasionally, I do find it. The, uh, Best Buys, uh, Naval Corporation, uh, well, Media Buys, I never got anything back from them. Whatever they, I say, sold on the table for five bucks, never saw a report. But John's a nice guy. I, I just let it be. But the, the stuff, Navarre, they actually call me and say, uh, well, we're not going to distribute you anymore. We, we're not going to do that anymore. Okay, well, fine. Uh, we got some stuff of yours we got to send back. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, you got to pick it up. Uh, okay. You should go right up pod, pod. Yeah. I said, okay, sure. I stalled, stalled. I can, can't go to wherever the Navarre is. And, Suddenly, they, the lady calls me and goes, you know, we, we thought about it. You made, we made money off of you. Get ready. We can send some pallets over. What? Suddenly, two days later, truck came by, left t- eight pallets. Next huh. day, left six pallets. I was like, shit, what is all this? I got, oh my God, I got 25, 6,000 DVDs wow. in my front of my home. Oh, man. So I had to do it all by myself, rent public storage unit, kept bringing everything over, boxes. Back and forth, back and forth. And well, this is the difference between you as a label and like some of the bigger ones now. Is like you're doing this by yourself mostly. How many people do you work with you? Is it just you? It's a solo enterprise. Well, I mean, I, in, when I had a video store, when I yeah. had people working for me, they stole. Yeah. <laughs> no one steals from me. I have nobody working for <laughs> right. me. Right. But you hire out for extras. I have a neighbor help help me out. He's on the steal. Uh-huh. But it's that that forty six. 26,000 DVDs. I did it all by myself. Wow. Brought it over to the public storage. I went one big unit, another big unit, and I got, you know, I got five big units. I still got uh, seven big units. Oh, so you still have no just a bought. ton of stuff. Yeah. And no one bought. Yeah. I pay $1,800 a month holding those damn DVDs. People say, put it up. I will buy it. Okay, I'll put some movie. You're not going to buy it. I put it up. They didn't buy it. Huh. I got Velvet Trap. I'll put it up. You want to buy it, right? You didn't buy it. You told me to put it up. I'll put it up. <laughs> so you guys, you guys want the rare stuff. Yeah. If I have a rare stuff, I'll put it for 50 bucks on eBay. So I'm going to give it to you for five bucks. Right. But I need Have it. you had any luck doing eBay sales as well? Or does that help at all? I did eBay, but I got, I got best chargeback. Yeah. It shows it's delivered, but they do charge back. And eBay give them the money back. I got way too many strikes. I kicked. I got kicked out. So oh, okay. people are strange in eBay. They, they could play with the, you know, the... Play with the, you know, I guess eBay rules, uh-huh. and I got kicked down. They brought me back, but I'm not gonna sell anymore. It's it's hopeless. Uh, more than I've already asked you this before we started, but my my newfound love, I only discovered Night of a Thousand Cats this year. Now I know that release had some issues. 
uh, and it was pulled at one point, right? You didn't because because the shortened version of that film seemed to be the better version. The version that you put out to me, I watched the longer one on see, YouTube. See these guys living in basements, holding <laughs> a big gulp, jerking off, saying, "We want this. We want that was a Mexican Mexican version. Yeah. Where is it? We're missing the scene." We want to see Hugo, Hugo Stiglitz's ass. Bring it, bring it back. It's like they're saying, God, what a great label. Which sign has put it out. We'll see which someone else puts it out. Fine, fine. I'll pull it. I don't need this shit. I pressed yeah. 500. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost gone anyway. So I never pressed another 500. That was it. 500, that's it. And that, do you guys still have like uh, a scan of the negative or something that if you wanted to do a Blu-ray, could it be possible? No print. Oh, there's no print. <laughs> but it's like I don't want to deal with it because they, yeah. they want different languages. Right. It's stupid. Yeah. It really pisses me off when someone goes, well, I like hailing Italian language. Oh, you like dub movies? No, that's how they speak Italian. That's not Henry Silva's voice. That's yeah. not Jack Plant's voice, but English language, that's Jack Plant's voice. Yeah. So you like them dubbed. Want to see how they're supposed to be seen. Yes, you're an American. It should be seen by a dub version. Uh-huh. But they like subtitles. I doubt they read the subtitles. Yeah. I don't think these guys even know how to read. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but I mean, I'll do honestly. Can I have some guys sitting watching Jack Plants talking Italian? And yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> but they, they, they want the subtitle, the dub. and the... So, so basically you're saying their chance of Night of a Thousand Cats is very low right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can put it out, but in the end, it's going to be the same complainers. Yeah. yeah. It's like why... They came over, pissed in your house. Why invite them over to piss in your house again? Yeah. They just want the complete version, which is like a lot of Hugo Stiglitz in the helicopter. He is pretty great. Enjoying how great he is. And he <laughs> yeah. produced the movie. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Hugo. That and so Barracuda. I guess, or... I guess but people want that long cut, even though it's, yeah. it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't add anything. It's, it, some movies you actually are better, sure. No. I... <laughs> it cuts to the chase a little more. What are, what are the films that were... Um, that you've had the most trouble with releasing, like well, that have been the most difficult to get out there to people, or are they all just tough? There's a couple of titles I couldn't put out, but uh, oh. a couple of I had trouble getting it out is uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. That's, That's one of your other best releases, took, I think. It took forever because uh, yeah. one guy who does extras kept saying I bootlegging it, and one label claimed it was offered to me from a bank. Well, why would the bank offer it? I got, I got a, I got a. T- I got three negatives. I got a camera negative, uh, two IPs, and a CRI. I got four negatives, and you'd say bank offered it to me? What they offered you, a tape? What are you talking about they offered you? So anyway, it's whatever. Huh. They started smelling the movies around. I couldn't put it out. Susan Tyrell, poor girl, poor lady, kept saying, fuck him. Show me his photo. I showed, look at this guy. I'll haunt him for the day I die, <laughs> that fat bastard. Wow. I'll haunt him. The day he dies, he will see my face. I, I, he fucked me over. He fucked you over. I hate him. That's come from Susan Tyrell. Yeah, and that's, she's amazing in that and movie. And she said she basically said, "Yeah, I hate his guts. Huh. The day I die, huh. he he killed my release." And yet, I, when she died, I paused and goes, "You know, I just put it out. See if it comes out." One of the producers put it out. See if it comes out. And I did, and no one came out. Huh. But and that was a DVD only, right? DVD. DVD. But I see what Susu was talking. I'll hunt him till the day he dies. Well, I guess. If he dies, I'll, I won't look for Susan Tyrell in heaven or hell or whatever you're going. Yeah. Because Susu hates you. And that's really scary when a celebrity hates you. Yeah. But, so it's, I mean, it sounds like she was on your side on that. Yeah, know, she wants it out so yeah. bad. Yeah. But, you know, as usual, you know. Do you still have all those materials for the movie? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. supposedly a bank has it. I don't know why I have it. <laughs> what bank? I do not know. That one was a good seller for you, right? The medium? Okay. 
What are some of your most popular titles? I'm just curious, like nowadays, like Blu-ray. Just Before Dawn did very well. Yeah, yeah. that's a great disc. Who knows? Also, Just Before Dawn, the Blu-ray release of that was a limited amount of units? Yeah, okay. sold out. Oh, it's sold out? It's sold out. It's almost gone. Oh. Might just do a new one one day. Who knows? I feel like that would still sell. I think some big slasher movies like that, that, that one's getting a bit of a resurgence, it yeah. seems to me. Do you do you see horror titles? Are those your most popular titles, or is it or a genre specifically? Well, action doesn't sell. Action, no good. Comedy is the worst seller. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't do anything. You put a hottest comedy out, it'll never sell. Hmm. People don't want want to buy comedies. It's sad, but they don't well, buy as, yeah, I don't we want... were saying that. I mean, we'll buy just about anything you put out. So, like, I think we're not the norm, I guess, for your buyers, but. Um, there's so many movies you put out that I just had never heard of prior to you putting them out. And so it's your label has become this sort of Island of, cause he and I like to fancy ourselves. Yeah. We've seen a few movies in our day, but obviously we didn't run a video store back when you did. And I, so I don't, there's so much stuff that I've missed out on, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. Every time you announce a new title, at least uh, one out of three, I haven't heard of ever. And I'm always like, well, that's fascinating to me as a movie fan, you know? But played somewhere. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, played somewhere. And was that because was it your time in the video store where you became aware of some well, of these titles? Because that's a lot kid, of stuff. I, I used to take the bus and look at the theaters and say, I can't wish I could go in that filthy theater there. Yeah. I want to see that movie. Oh, it's four movies playing at this theater. I wish I could see Driving Places. I remember those. I used to cut it up and paste it on a book, which I don't have anymore. All the movies I played and I want to see. And I'm trying to use my brain to go back to track what's going on. Uh-huh. on those movies and uh, one I put out was Zebra Force which I like very much yeah and, I, uh, I know the cover of that one I haven't seen that one yet yeah, Joe, um, I put DVD out because that's all he had uh. he had a master that Japan paid so I said I'll, could you can I do a new master oh, I'll take the same master okay sure Joe nice guy torn a toy uh, so I put it out but didn't, didn't do any business yeah and uh, I think Joe died he, was, he had prostate cancer, and he's not responding, so he's probably yeah, that's, dead. That's I guess there are all these relationships you have with all these different people and all these different films. It'd be hard to keep up with everyone. Well, yeah, time. I was going to say, obviously, you are dealing with more like non-studio titles, right? That's usually what you end up well, with? Well, can't, can't the studio titles. MGM's not going to deal with I will actually email MGM and say, would you deal with me? I have my bank account. I have money. I can pay for the movies, and they want to deal with me. Hmm. Awfully strange, but they'll deal with these overseas companies. I don't know why, but MGM's like that, I guess. Uh, very strange. But so, so uh, with these smaller movies, you must have people that are rights holders that pass away or whatever, and then you yeah, just lose died, that yeah. avenue to the movie altogether, right? Yeah, some of them died. I mean, That's crazy. Twisted Nightmare, he's, he's dead. Oh, really? Paul Hunt died. <laughs> I just watched that Paul the Hunt, other night. Yeah. Uh, Paul died. Yeah. He was a funny guy. He used to call me and say, Hey, Bill, who's this? You there? Yeah. Hello? Hanged up. What's going on? <laughs> and so he called, three months later, so he called and goes, Bill, you there? Oh, yeah. What's going on? So they told me how to do a, I didn't have a call ID, but now I have a call ID. I saw a number. I said, the number sounds familiar. I called back and said, Hey, you just called me. Yeah, I did. Is this Paul Hunt? Yeah, it's me. Why you did that? Well, I like you. I want to make sure you're alive. I do that to whoever I like. You hit me every three months. When I call you, you say you're alive, you can hang up. Oh, that's great. And he didn't call me anymore. Ah, that's sad. So I said, what happened to it? And suddenly, uh, I typed the internet and he's dead. You found out. 
Oh, Lee Frost, uh, Black Gestapo. Uh, uh-huh, talked yeah. him on the phone, and he died too. It's like these people. I guess, yeah, died. especially the movies from the seventies. I guess well, like, I was dead. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say a lot of these movies are dead to the world if you don't put them out. I think you know. I mean, that, yeah, I, I know I'd they be don't. Jo- I'd be joining them too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> kids have taken over, but uh, I don't know. It's uh... when did you start Code Red? What year? About was that six two thousand six or so? I think earlier than that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, when I went to LA, I did bring scripts and met people. So I still had contact. Unfortunately, like typical guy who was a video store come to LA, I was ripped off by some people. Uh, I shouldn't mention their names, but uh, Calactact is, uh, I know Russ Myers told me, he's one of the guys I met in the video business. He goes, they ripped you off. They ripped you off, Bill. It's terrible. They're a bunch of maggots. And that Buck Frost claimed he auditioned for me. He'll never audition for me. He's a scumbag. <laughs> so Russ Myers said to me, poor Russ, he died. Oh, yeah. But he had a beautiful house. I mean, he painted. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, I said, why is everyone looking at you? Weird. They hate my house. Why? Because you, you paint the house like a stop sign. Red, what, what's it? Green, red, and yellow. Oh, of course, people neighborhood hate you. Yeah, yeah. I drove him around for a while. Nice Oh, that's guy. cool. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, that's huh. cool. But sad, sad. Yeah. What's the relationship? Obviously, I know it's run by your brother, but Scorpion, are, are you guys well, he, well, different companies? Well, we or how is it? Red, yeah. he, there's a movie he wanted really bad called Twilight's Last Screaming. Oh, he helped them out. Burt Lancaster. To help them out to help the, the German to get the negative and all that. Yeah. And they said, we can't go give it to you. We'll give it to Shout Factory. No, wait, uh, Kino, a few clams. We'll give you a little money to help out. And he, he was sad they wouldn't choose me because of the crap movie he released. So he decided to do Scorpion and put out those Greases Palace and whatever. And they, they, they guess they sold, but not not enough to even, you know, buy this bottle of Coke. I mean, <laughs> so the idea was to create another title he, he that could be a little own. more legit or I something. I left him alone. He started doing art right. films. And yeah, libraries would like to buy it, but most people rent movies to the library. They don't buy movies. And yeah. The, all those movies he put out, they, 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 I guess they're worth money, but in the end, most people just won't buy it. But you guys aren't in competition. You're working together effectively. Yeah, he decided to team up a little, and uh, you know, little health problems on my side, so he wants to do some stuff with me. But it's you know, it's it's you know, brothers. I don't have nothing against him. He wants to help out. So. Yeah. Well, I have two labels. You know, he could help out. He could still have Scorpion. He could still put out something, but it's. You know, it's like there's not enough customers out there. Yeah. Is it getting harder to find stuff with so many com- competitors? Like, because obviously it's more than when you started. There's a lot more people in this business. Is it getting a lot more difficult to find new titles? I know it's pretty t- hard when people I have deals with call me and say, I don't want to deal with you because you're a crook. Hmm. I said, why am I a crook? Well, this guy called me and said it. Okay. Let me guess who it is. <laughs> and it's always that guy, one guy. Hmm. He calls people and says, I'm a crook. It's pretty tough when you have people much stronger and younger dealing with all this stuff, and you know you're becoming a dinosaur. So you put you on the side. But you know, frankly, these little shits won't know these movies till I put it out. They don't know anything. They're copying what I'm putting out. I mean, they're not gonna know anything. Yeah. They, they weren't even born. VHS first was made. It was '76 when VHS first came out in the run. Charles Band, I think, created Meta Video. Meta named after his girlfriend. <laughs> huh. Meta video. I think his ex-wife. Meta video. Then Joe Wolf bought it called a media. Then Magnetic Video and all that. That's video days, okay? 
they weren't even born in 77, 78, okay? So they know more than I do, whatever. I mean, you know, it's whatever. What's your What's your experience been like with Kino, you and your brother? I don't I don't totally understand. Is it a dis- distribution thing, like some of the well, Scorpion? Uh, people complain they can't find stuff in stores, and my brother made a deal. He left WB to go to Kino to distribute the stuff in the stores. Yeah. Frank's a nice guy. He's a, he's a fan like me. You know, he likes the genre. He, I think the only mistake he does is he puts too many titles out per week, so he's competing against his own titles. But uh, he puts a lot out, and... Uh, because yeah, he wants, he said, once when I sign up with you, won't sign up with me. He goes, sure. And he asked me, and I said, it's okay. But I'm giving some titles with him. Yeah, I saw, do you have three titles with him now? It's like Last Plane Out and Last Plane High out, Point. High Point and Being Different and uh, Funny, Funny Form. Form. And people say, I can't find your stuff in the stores. Well, it's, it's now going to be in the stores. And guess what? You're never going to still find it anyway. Mm. There's nothing at the stores. These guys are deluded. They think I could go up Best Buy and buy these things. This shit doesn't get in stores anymore. Cheap excuse, they don't want to buy it. Well, now you can't have any excuse. You can buy it now. They're still not buying it. I see the sales. Not, no one's buying this mm. shit. So, so is Kino an avenue to, to Amazon and some of the bigger online retail? Yeah, to get it out there. And, Does, you know, but that doesn't help. Discount really. prices, I guess. I oh, mean. yeah. But, you know, it's, 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 you know it's, these titles are going to be struggling. <laughs> Do you think it's just going to get worse from here? Like in terms of as a physical meet for physical media? <sighs> yeah. It's going to be gonna, really bad. Yeah. No one's buying. They're stealing. They're st- streaming. It's, uh, who won't, no one wants to own a movie anymore. Have you thought about, not that I want to go away from physical media, but a Code Red streaming service of some kind? Or? I've thought about that, but if anyone could stream it, what, what, five cents every time they watch a movie? 25 cents? That's I mean, good. I don't know how that would work. But, but it seems like... Yeah, it would be, probably be a monthly fee. Amazon, they yeah. get, like Charles Band's doing one, and uh, other people are doing but in the end... How much you get? Yeah, it may be more trouble than it's worth. I just was thinking, I don't know how much you still. Sounds like you still have a bunch of stuff where you own the rights, and but then maybe renegotiating streaming rights is a whole thing and all that. Well, I want to buy movies because they know they're old, and they said, "Well, you did well. I want you to want to sell you, sell you the movie." So I went up owning movies, but you know I have no wife, no kids. So who's gonna get it when I die? The city, hmm. or some another twenty year old kid gonna come? <laughs> when I die, they're gonna steal my shit when I die. Hmm. I mean, that's all I could think of. I mean, you know, I'm sure some movie someone's stealing right now, uh, I'm sure some guy walked his heart out and uh, thought, I'll have this movie till the day I die. I'll give it to my kids. He had no kids, so that woman steals it, steals it. There's there's a lot of movies that keep, every time we go to a different physical medium, it, they get lost. And so, I mean, I know one of the reasons we wanted you here is because for us, it's really important to mention movies people have forgotten. Because we love movies. And it and it's kind of heartbreaking when a movie gets lost or just forgotten about. And you really do a service. I know you don't probably feel the love a lot of times because you have to deal with all the people complaining. But there is a lot of love from certain people for this kind of medium. What you do and the kind of movies you're in essence saving. I wouldn't have ever heard of Rituals is a movie that blew me away when I saw it. You know the kind of Deliverance ripoff, but it's almost as good as Deliverance. And that was a movie I didn't even heard of till like saw your release. I had trouble selling that movie. Yeah. Certain somebody kept calling. Saying he's bootlegging the movie. I got it from Terry Levine. Remember Terry yeah, Levine? Yeah. He gave me that movie. Oh, and I think uh, Canadians said they own it and all that. Someone told me some some guy owns it. Ron Stain, who's in the movie, actually helped out in the release. And but probably no Blu-ray for that. I mean, this this maggot claimed I stole it. I paid five thousand for Terry Levine. Uh-huh. You think I stole it? I still got the cash check. Yeah. What if I shoved that up your ass, motherfucker? <laughs> Come on, I I paid somebody for that fucking movie. I didn't right. steal it. 
Yeah. I, I couldn't sell it in the end because he started causing trouble and kept getting recalled and I kept getting uh, backed. And, and yeah, I sold on the internet slowly, but uh, it didn't didn't sell more. Didn't sell a thousand copies. Popped. Huh. We'll, we'll we'll push for it. Yeah, I, <laughs> That's I love what, that movie. I think it's a great uh, movie. Yeah. I just watched. Uh, we did a show about uh, messed up families, and I did. Julie Darling and Rituals. So I rewatched yeah. my. I hadn't seen Rituals, but I bought your DVD of it. And Julie Darling, I just think is ridiculously awesome. So I'm. I was psyched that the new Blu-ray just came out. I picked that up right away. Yeah, yeah. That movie's nuts. Do you only do Blu-rays if you have the elements to make a good enough, you yeah, know, I, copy? I, unfortunately, I haven't mailed the. You got one already. I got one. I, I was. I've sold so much. I didn't. Uh, I didn't mail some out. So I got backlog logs of people just waiting for me mailing it. So. Uh-huh. I have a package showing up tomorrow, so I'll pack stuff tomorrow. But oh, so you got the disc sent to you here, so you can mail them out from here, kind of. Thing? Yeah, because I'm not in yeah. Seattle. And yeah, that's what I do. But that's I, crazy. So, so it's just you, or you and your brother and your neighbor, as far as like, if I get if I get a package of Code Red Blu-rays, did you pack that yourself, pretty much? I packed it. Oh, and, uh, man. Right wow. now, I can't that's drive, crazy. so a uh, little minor problem I have. Uh, Damon <laughs> picks me up. Damon that, Packard, that, for yeah, people who don't know, that, the great experimental filmmaker. <laughs> he gets his cop car, and I bring boxes of mail, and hopefully the mail drop is not filled at the top. We'll shove it in there, and uh, I buy him a cigarette, and he's happy. See, it sounds like a reality TV show for me. <laughs> that damn hot dog in 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he likes. That's what'll keep him going? Dog. Yeah. Well, that's crazy, Bill. I mean, that, I just do. that you've been doing it as long as you have, and that it's you. I, I guess I just kind of assumed you had some people helping you pack stuff up. That's like I said, I had a video store before when I had employees, and they stole. Yeah, I understand. You know, I like, said, "What my what are my new releases? It's not here anymore." <laughs> so you never get any help from Banana Man. Oh, he's, he comes and goes. <laughs> so tell me about the origins of Banana Man, because he has become kind of like the mascot of Code Red. For those who don't know, I did it as a joke. Uh-huh. I'm a comedian. Yeah. And the problem is the internet is full of hate. Yeah. I do a joke, they take it seriously. Yeah. One guy said, I wish Bill Olsen dies making that joke. It's like, it's comedy, you yeah. geek. Well, I think because it's the internet, people but can't sometimes com- tell but if no, it's a I joke or not. I think they got some problems, yeah. mental, because they don't go, like, like uh, one label, nice guy, overseas label, yeah. told me, well, you know how these guys are, they find life outside the world, the internet, they find a new world, yeah. new friends. Yes, they have friends they've never met, but they're yeah. buddies in the internet. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, Banana Man's comedy, and uh, no one gets the joke. It's a yeah. comedy. Uh, we appreciate Banana Man. <laughs> it's a comedy, but they don't understand. I mean, comedian. I was a failed comedian. I know comedy, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, they don't get it. They don't get anything at all. It's comedy, but everything's serious. Yeah. But you, you created it just like so as you'd show up, like take photos with the stars that you get for commentaries and things like that, just to have a laugh. Yeah, I have celebrities calling me. You know, uh-huh. For actually, Banana Man? Yeah, let's, well, let's see. <laughs> Leaving calls for, for Banana Man? Yeah, no, <laughs> call me for no reason. Let's, let me see if I get one here. Hopefully it's Sybil Danning. Sybil, <laughs> she doesn't call me. My, my Asian is, my lawyer is her eight lawyer. Oh, yeah. New Morning, Bill. It's Bo Svensson. Are you alive? Give me a call. I'm in the office. Three one zero. Message skipped. New message. That was great. Yeah. Hey Bill, it's Bo Swanson again. <laughs> I'm not calling about the interview. I'm calling to see how you are feeling. You dropped out of sight. Last we spoke, 
uh, was something not uh, all that well with your health. I'm concerned about your health, <laughs> I, I save messages, people. Hey, well, both Some of dead you. people. Is Rick, uh, Rick Wakeman left many messages, and in the end, we can get an interview. Killed himself, poor guy. Yeah, oh, that's nice. But Bo's, Bo's great in Nightmare, you know, uh, Maker. Yeah, he's it's, a... It's a fun movie. He's uh, he's quite a character. Uh-huh. Buford Pusser, too. He's part yeah, two. That's right. <laughs> Fred Williamson says, well, I got a message saved for Fred. He goes, you talked to Bo? He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fred, yeah, he's a jerk. I saved There's some, some tough guys. There's one he leaves a message. All he said was, hammer time. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. You got to find that one for us because that's a that's a. Oh man! I saved him because you know, Elliot Gould is the funniest mustache. He he procrastinates and talks. How you doing, Bill? This is Elliot Gould. It's kind of funny when somebody's call you. You can like delete it. I mean, yeah, that's no, that's great. Never deleted Elliot Gould message. It's amazing. But uh, it's funny because when you interview people, they they wind up. You know, knowing them, yeah, because you're helping get their work out there, and sometimes it's their work well, that's being know. underseen. I think they, yeah. they view me as a nuisance. I don't do an interview. I got paid what 20 years ago. Why do I give you an interview? So I got a nasty text from an actress. Uh, what is text? I put it up on YouTube. She's, uh, <laughs> of course, no, you did. I didn't put it on YouTube. I put it on uh, where is it? Hi, I got your voicemail. I'm not interested in participating in your project. Thanks for your interest. Huh. And I guarantee, I put that up and said, I guarantee if she's not on the disc, you got to sign it. I never tried. Right. That's all they say. You never contacted her. Well, no one wants to be bothered. Just because you might buy a movie they did 40 years ago. That's what they think of you. No offense, but you yeah. know, I don't want to waste my, if I was an actor, I was like, well, you bothered me something I did 1985. I mean, you know, but they don't understand. I mean, people think you should, they want extras. Like one guy complains, you have no extra on last plane out. Hmm, I'm selling for te- well, practically 10 bucks a brulee. Uh, what, what do you want? Jan Michael Vincent can't talk. David Huffman was murdered. The guy in Blood Beach, he's in last plane out. Uh, Millie Crosby, I, she, we contacted her, nothing. Julie Combs said she'll do it. She changed her mind. Jock's taking the DP. I know Jock's. Walkman Maniac Cop 3. I met him then. He, he, he moved to Frisco. So what do you want? What extra do you want? I, I tried everybody. Sorry I ruined your $10, $12 DVD of Brulee. Did you ever think about just not being communicative at all to them? Because it seems like because you, you're willing to engage, which to me is great for customer service, but it also means people are going to keep taking shots. You yeah, know? but I enjoy it. I, okay, okay <laughs> I good, fun, good. I fun with them. Say, okay, you're mad. Yeah, go insult me. Go insult me. What's been the most controversial release, the thing that you got the most blowback on of all the films you've ever put out? Or have you put it out of your memory? Or just people being upset about something that might be trivial or might be legitimate, but... Well, uh, people complain it's not subtitled. I get that. Oh, you get that one. I mean, if if my title sells like 5,000 like the other guys, yeah, I'll subtitle it. But if I sell 500, why subtitle it? It costs 800 bucks to subtitle a movie. There's not enough people to buy it. I mean, guy complained uh, there's 48 million deaf people. Okay, fine. What one percent buys my stuff? I'll subtitle it. Yeah. No one buys my shit. So I think I it, think people just don't understand sometimes that it's like a one person show, and I think sometimes doing shows like this can actually help when somebody listens realize what you, what they're asking from you, which is a lot. 
you know, they're asking a lot for a little bit of money, you know? And so it's good to clarify, like, I'm doing all of this and I'm shipping it to you. It's not a complaint, but it's good for people to learn that. Because I wouldn't know, I would have assumed you had people doing at least the packaging. One of my competitors had a two, couple of competitors had 50% off sale. I paused for a second and said, they're not making any money. Obviously, they overpressed it. They're getting shipped back. Okay, that was a joke. I did a 15% off sale. I did $15,000 worth of sale. People huh. bought it 15% off. It's like, that's nothing. Yeah. I actually posted saying, uh, look, uh, I'm a one man. It'll take a while to ship it. If you can't wait and start a complaining, I'll just give you money back. Yeah. Because I never had a peaceful transaction where someone says, where's my stuff? And it's, I'm going to mail like, like, like one week from now. I just give the money back. Because one lady right now claimed, where's my mortuary? Where's my mortuary? Fine. I moved it ahead of the line, packed it, mailed it. Tracking shows it disappeared. That, they don't scan and shit anymore. Uh. She did a chargeback. She's getting her money back. I know she got it. Uh. So obviously people do chargeback and check the track. Tracking's good, but the problem is a lot of people, when tracking stops moving, they know they can get a free one. That's what I'm getting. A lot of people. That sounds stressful. Honestly, yeah. that sounds like a lot of work for. I mean, what's the reward for you? Like, what? What is it? The is it still the movies? Is it, are you making enough to keep it going? Like, what is? What at the end of the day keeps you going with Code Red? Well, I wake up in the morning. I see electricity on. <laughs> I take a hot shower. Water's on. So it does pay. It pays your bills. Uh, and I, I, there's a place that has a, like a breakfast special. If I'm early enough, I have a breakfast special and. Uh, Damon goes to 24 Fitness. And I text Damon, "Hey, you want? I'll buy you breakfast." He shows up. We eat breakfast special and uh, go back and pack and do whatever. I mean, as long as I live, I'm happy. But unfortunately, people out there is not happy, and they want to make sure I'm not happy. But do you take it on? Like, because you sound to me like you have almost like like a stand-up comic who has to be able to take on a lot of that almost pain from other people. Are you able to take that on without it beating you? Well, I don't. What I I think people's kind of insane in the web. Yeah. Well, I was I was seeing a cardiologist and I have some problems and they said you go about your heart more than movies. Well, if, if I die, then I got to be any fucking movies, you piece of shit. <laughs> That's what I'm like saying. So you, 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 care yeah, you care about your heart, your 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 health over these movies. <laughs> what the fuck? Some <laughs> fucking magazine, and Broadway.com is like fuck you. Oh my god. You fucking idiot. You, you yeah. I'm gonna fucking die. And you're going to get your movie. You're not going to get your movie if I fucking die. <laughs> Shipping will not happen if that happens. No, but so, I, you want me to put these titles, like those Argento movies, the most expensive batch. I'm, that's going to bomb. I don't think... Is that, is that Scorpion or you? No, I, we both chipped in, but 30000 per movie, that's incredible. There's no way you get your money back. So that's opera? Opera, uh, sect, and... Uh, Church. Oh, the church. So the two by. We outbidded uh, another label and became thirty thousand a piece. We did all these extras and people are not going to wait. They're complaining all day and it's like you give the other label five years to put out their release. Why didn't you give us more than two years for ours? But it's going to come out. It just it's it's not going to get them get some money back. Yeah, I mean, no opera way. will sell. I think opera will sell well. Not thirty thousand dollars worth. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and, and uh, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. Blondie is still selling that movie on streaming and everything, but. I don't know. But, uh, it's, Has it been it, restored? Is it going to look the it best looked, it's ever looked? I'll tell you looked? what. Uh, when people at Photocam looked at it, they had the Brew Underground mass, uh, DVD. They said, looks like a VHS. You guys look like pristine. Yeah. Fantastic. It's a beautiful. It I think that's his best last but again, movie. But again, again, does it matter as pristine? Yeah. People like cheap. And those Hoff fans are mostly cheap. 
if if it cost if it cost you twenty four ninety five twenty nine ninety five to do the extras and pristine scenic and restoration, don't complain. Hmm. But it comes to overseas label ten bucks. Look like VHS. They'll like that VHS more. They seem to be cheap. I don't know why. I guess they're financially hurting. I don't know, but it's. Are those three the biggest investment you guys have ever made in titles? Well, Beyond the Door and Visitor and Choke Canyon was pretty expensive, but yeah. those three is pretty expensive. And now we're getting more Italian movies, and which is, looking back, it's kind of a mistake. Hmm. Uh, people, Italian fans are usually uh, demand certain things, and some demand some kind of thing. It's kind of hard to please them. Hmm. The subtitle and all that, it's, it's really strange. Because of all the dubbing that was and, done back in the day? If a movie's shot in English, but it's Italian, right? They still want Italian language. I do not know why. Yeah, Italians do not give Italian language; they complain. I, I made a joke when someone goes, "It's unfair in Italian language." I said, "Well, you speak Italian? Come on, okay, come on, come on, Schwartz, you speak Italian?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, what, what? Oh, yeah, come on, you want Italian language? We do. Well, I like it to watch the original language. It's shot in English. Yeah, that's the original language. Well, I don't understand you." I got one guy complained. He said, please, you're slow on my mailing. I said, it's been, it's been four days. Please, give me some time. <laughs> I need it for my friend's bar mitzvah. I want to give it to the president. I said, okay, bar mitzvah. You shouldn't buy off me. <laughs> I said, don't buy off me. I take a while to mail. Yeah. And right now I can't drive, so can't mail the stuff. So Damon Pack is the only <laughs> You got an experimental filmmaker running delivery. That's yeah, good. Yeah, he's doing, he's doing the extras too. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Um, which ones? The, uh, the, the he did opera? one for High Point. High Point. He did oh. High Point. Uh, he interviewed people and he interviewed people of other people. Which fortunately, uh, and One Dark Night. He's doing a lot of extras. One Dark. Yeah, that's Night. that's a good movie. Tom and Tom McLaughlin involved at all or not the director? Uh, yeah. Well, we could have put it out six months before, but when since Tom got involved, he wants to do all those interviews and. Oh yeah. Oh nice. And uh, I thought it was great. Then 88 Films got it in the UK, and people say, "Oh, it's great. We get we get it cheaper." It's like yeah, but I spend. $6,000 doing extras. So yeah. so are they stealing your master and your extras? No, they're not getting my extra. They're, they're getting, getting my master. Yeah. And, no. and people think they're restoring it. No, they're getting my master. The rights owner will give them master. So in the end, you know. Uh, That's a very underrated movie. I think a lot of people, if they discover that, if they can find it and if they buy from you, they're going to be pleased because it's a fun movie. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's, uh, frankly, it's, I think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> But, uh, I like it. I think it's fun. <laughs> Adam West yeah. is in there, right? Yeah, Adam West. Uh, yeah, they, they want me to interview Adam West, and then oh, someone yeah. said you get Adam West, and I said, "Here's a man who charges fifty bucks to autograph a Batmobile car. You want? <laughs> you think he'll do it for free? Yeah. But he doesn't live in LA. He lives ah, in uh, right. I think he lives in Oregon or something. Yeah. I can't fly over there. I'm not like some label actually fly first class and do interviews. I mean, I won't make any money. Yeah. I still don't make any money. It's so some of these upcoming releases are pretty big. I mean, you've got Ar uh, the Argento, Sovi films, uh, One Dark Night. What what are some of the other upcoming stuff that? Overpriced, overpriced Italian movies. Uh -huh. Anything. <laughs> some Paul Nashy stuff. Oh yeah, uh -huh. that, that's not gonna do anything. Yeah. But uh, stuff like that. I mean, yeah. Stuff that needs subtitling, which will bring other people over to the complaints. Complain. It's not Castilian language. This movie's part Japanese. Can we have Japanese language? Look, you dudes, I can only give you what they give me. Yeah. I can't rip off another language. I'll get sued. But they want different languages. And I always kid around with them. Oh, you speak, you speak Castilian? <laughs> but they don't. They just want it. They, they, they figured, I'm giving you 10 bucks, 20 bucks. 
I demand those languages. Like, yeah. what do you, what do you, what do you? Well, all they it's say all, is the movie. They don't see the work. Well, also, it's, it's a collector's OCD thing. I, I have it. I don't demand multi-languages, but I think people are always like, I want the most complete. Obviously, that's ridiculous, you know, but yeah. So. Uh, when is when is opera coming out? Because I feel like that's, uh, to me, well, that's, a big release. It's, it's already put together. Well, Jim Coons is working, putting everything together, and uh, uh, only way to get $30,000 back is to have a special version, and we're trying to figure out what to do it, but... It's tough doing a special version because uh, House on Sorry Row, my brother put out, we get, he got a lot of returns. Yeah. Because when you shake the disc, it's rattling. Oh, they go OCD, like, oh, it's damaged. It's scratch. This uh-huh. one guy kept mailing House on Sorry Row, kept giving it back. So it's damaged. I had to give him a self addressed stamp envelope to get it back. Send him another one. It's shaking. I said, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? I open up, goes, I don't have a single scratch in the damn thing. Huh. Just because it shakes, it's scratching like huh. a DVD. So you have the OCD people. So that's why I do the two discs, DVD brulee when I do these things. People say, why don't you throw a DVD free? Well, I'm not going to do it because that OCD piece of shit <laughs> fucked it up. So, uh, but Opera needs to be a special release. We need to come up with some way to get $30,000 back and, uh, and we spend more money on top of that. So uh, we're thinking of a special tin box or something, but... And that costs more money too, right? Running out of time, and you know, uh, I know the other guy who did the opera Argento stuff. People do post my tin box show dent. Well, Mister Complainer, you will not complain to him because he's got got to you to you. But if if my release has got a dent, you will demand your money back. That's why I can't do the tin box because you guys gonna demand it. OCD people, they hook But also, off. it also adds cost to you, right? A ten bucks. That must be what a couple bucks each. No, it's a lot more than that. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, five bucks each. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't. If there's one dent, they want to, they want to give it back, and so it doesn't seem worth the risk. So especially if I, you're I already get, this I don't invested. I get my money back. And... I mean, you just have, I guess it has to just be the definitive release of opera, and if it's the best looking opera out there, I think people will buy yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, people are still cheap. Yeah. People are still cheap. They'll wait. Well, and then. Maybe no, somebody's going to take your master <laughs> overseas take my master. because it's Argento. What, how, how much time do you have left on this release? You had a two-year? Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, but it's, it's, after a while, it's not worth the money. Yeah. That $30,000 could feed a lot of children. Yeah. $30,000 could fix bridges, <laughs> fix small countries. Not a fucking movie. Especially two Mikhail Sobe movies not worth $65,000. Yeah, that, that seems it's that not. seems like a lot. There's a package, but there's nothing I can do. But in the end, is there enough people to buy these things? Which is sad. There's not enough people to buy it. Other labels, they can make that money like that. Me, no. Can you team up with that? Because didn't you team up with Scream Factory recently on, was it Willard and Ben? Or, there, there's Evil a couple. Speak. Evil Speak, yeah. And does that work out financially for you to team up with another label? Team in advance, and that's it. Right. It's, ten, it's five grand. Okay, thanks. That's it. <laughs> So it doesn't really yeah. help much more. If I put it out, I'd make more money. But uh, okay. I just did it because I didn't, I didn't want to do brulee at the time. Yeah. But everything sells as brulee, and uh, DVD doesn't move, which is sad because it's so cheap to make a DVD. But unfortunately, in fact, I got a movie that's shot on, uh, shot on digital, no, vi- shot on, edited on tape, and I'm trying to up-res, up-res it so I can put it on a brulee. If I put it on DVD, I was going to buy it. If I put it on Broadway, it's going to buy it. It was like, I don't want to do it, but unfortunately, the market has changed. People don't want to touch a DVD anymore. 
Do you still uh, enjoy movies in the same way? Because obviously having a relationship where you're distributing, selling, and buying, and competing, can you still enjoy movies at this stage? I can't enjoy. I try to make. I try to make a movie recently, and uh, uh, as Michael Dudikoff said, I'll do it. Uh-huh. Talk to John Savage; he said he'll do it. All these people said I'll do it. And I talked to Mark Lester, uh-huh. uh, director, distributor. Class of 1984? Yeah, yeah. Commando. I said, if I make this movie for 150000 all these names, what do you think, Mark? You think you can sell it? Look, I like you. Uh, look, Bill, uh, there's no market anymore. All I, do, all I could get, get you is 50000 worth of sale. You lose hundred grand. Yeah. It's like, okay, I make a movie with all these names. In the end, it doesn't matter because no one buys movies, new movies. Where do they go? Nowhere. Yeah. Streaming? Okay, well, Netflix said we'll take it. Uh, when Media Blast told me Machine Girl, they got uh, $70,000 streaming on nonstop for two years or something. Hmm. Yeah, but you spend three hundred grand making a movie, 70000 after two after two years, you still get your money back. Who's going to buy overseas? They're all gone. Yeah. What company's left? No one rents movies. Netflix killed everybody. Netflix, uh, Barclays killed the stores. Netflix killed blockbusters. Streaming is killing everything. Netflix does streaming more than mailing. Yeah. And one guy says, greatest year in thing. Yeah, well, you rent all the time. You don't buy. Well, look at, guess what? We're all going out of business. That's what's happening. Well, where's, Ma- where's Maverick? Where's Tanya York's York video? They're gone. They tried the DVD. They failed. They disappeared. I mean, it's, it's shocking, but they're all... Maverick's putting movies, like the past movies in a 10-pack on Walmart. Five bucks for ten movies. Wow! It's yes. like it's 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 industry's dying. Yeah, no one's buying new movies. Forget it. And do you think you're gonna keep uh, try to adapt to that, or do you think you're just gonna carry on with Blu-ray market and see what happens? Well, I'll stay on Blu-ray for a while, but it's gonna die. Yeah. In the end, kids are gonna say I can't, I don't have enough money. I'll just burn one. It's a company that does burning on Amazon that gives you high def on burning. It doesn't seem right. I'm paying 15 bucks for a burnt brewery. Yeah, that's I mean, weird. But they're doing, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's it's shocking what people are doing it, making a few bucks. But I don't know, dude. It's, yeah. uh, it's going away. <laughs> Do you go to the movies anymore? Like new movies? Or you always been more of an older film fan? I have not paid for a movie. Actual new movie. Mm. Last time I saw a movie was Bill Lustig and I... And my brother went to see Ghost in the Machine because Chris Mulkey was in the movie. What's that, in 92? Yeah, it was early 90s. 92. See he went to a theater, and he was bored. He walked out. Uh-huh. And I had to stay because Chris was in it, and that's the last time I sat through a movie. Oh, wow. I don't see movies anymore. What happened to the girl days where I paid two bucks to see a movie, a doll yeah. for me? Uh-huh. It's like, it's like a popcorn's bought. How much is popcorn? 20 bucks? Oh, my bucks? gosh. Don't even. It's like, it's, it's you, don't have, you don't have ticket takers anymore. You just like push a button, put a credit card. But it's like, what is this? It's not a movie. Back then, you got a, you got a frumpy lady. You, you pay two bucks. You see a movie downtown. You sit there all day. What happened to those days? It's gone. How, how often do people come message you and say, hey, Bill, I really like that you put this out. Thank you. Does that happen much? I know there's a lot of negative. Once a month. Once a month. That's it. That's a bummer. You get complaints a lot more. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean that. I've... Usually overseas people are angry. I won't ship it to them. Well, <laughs> no offense, dude. I can't ship it to you because if I ship it to you, I'm, I'm breaking the contract. 
And I, I used to ship overseas without any care. I used to wait in line and ship it because back then you have to, you can't do computer overseas. You have to wait in line physically. And one day I got 28 loss. I said, oh, God, 28 people Jeez. saying it's lost. Well, let's, I would like our listeners to send you love. Yeah. I mean, for, or at least write to you to tell you a film no. that they love that you actually put out because yeah. that's why we wanted you here. Absolutely. Uh, because yeah. we actually love some of the stuff you've put out. It's meant a lot to us. And it means a lot for us to hear what you've had to go through to do it, because that yeah. sounds like a lot, you know. Hell of a lot, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you could think about. Yeah, the movies that abandoned movies. Yeah, it's when I contact the owners, they go, "Well, you want this movie? Why?" Yeah, they always say, "Why you want this movie?" Well, I hope uh, I hope the Italian films sell. We're gonna we'll do our part because I actually think opera is my fa- I think opera is the best last later movie that Argento made by far. I think it's his final like masterpiece. And so I'll be pushing for that. I actually think Lisetta is a beautiful movie. Uh, no one really knows about that movie. And the church is a, a really interesting. It was meant the to be a demons. Be- yeah. Second features. Yeah. It was, it was meant to be demons three church, the church at one point. I think demons one and two was so better than that. But <laughs> yeah. They, they probably... I paid 30,000. So I, pay, I paid more than <laughs> those two. Yeah. Two, three. But anyway, I, I, I choose Zeta by accident. That was a mistake. Zeta I, I'm going to buy that because that's a movie I'd want to see for years. So, uh, I'll, thank you for being one of the 384. <laughs> I am, I'm one of those people. I check I check the Code Red Big Cartel site and the Ronin Flick site with uh, quite a bit of regularity, um, just to make sure I'm not missing something. Well, we're gonna try to create a spike in your sales, even yeah. if it's just for a couple weeks when we put this up. I, I we might yeah. fail, but we're gonna try. Hopefully, they reach out. out because I mean I, I'm trying to be you know being genuine about that. It means something to us. We're yeah, we're from lovers. About- we're movie lovers, and we. We actually always look forward to your releases. We've talked about your releases on the show. We've done 12 episodes so far, and I, I at least three or four, I feel like at least three or four of the episodes, they came up as either movies that we picked or incidentally we just mentioned it because we have Code Red on the brain. We always are thinking about what's Bill putting out, what's coming next, and it's exciting for me. You know, it's it's. Uh, I, I hope you stick with it, and I hope at some point you get a little bit more love than you're getting because it's unfortunate to me to hear how much negativity is getting thrown at you for all that you're putting out. You know what? The, the whole point of the show, Bill, is that we want to be positive. We don't, we try to be positive about movies. We try to be positive about labels that we love like you. And so we, we're not about negativity. There's too much of that online, as I you know. I don't just see kids like, what are you doing banana soup? What the fuck? looks like a dodo. It's like, look, you don't understand comedy. The internet can really, take things they, the wrong way. Because they, 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 they lead what I type. And it's not, they think I have no compassion is why I've said it. But it's like, you guys got to understand, it's it's letters. It's shocking that they're more negative in the internet. And uh, uh, I wish they're more loose and realize life is funny and they should enjoy life. Yeah. So you can see my ad. Comedian. Yeah, it does, yeah, it does a laugh yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, we thank you for what you're doing. And if, if no one else does today, two people just did. They're yeah. thanking you for what you put out. We appreciate it. We hope some people, you know, buy some of the titles we're going to mention today uh, at the end of the show. We'll uh, do our list of five movies each that we think people should really check out. Yeah. And, you know, thanks for giving us your time. And I hope I get to see you in a banana suit before tonight is over. Okay. And, and uh, they, they did call me insane Christmas time when I said, people, if you have any extra money, buy something and donate to Toys of Toys for Tots. <laughs> they thought I was insane when I said that. Oh, yeah. But you meant it, right? Yeah, I meant it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can we can officially say Code Red Bill is not crazy, Absolutely so that's no. good. <laughs> We've made something. Thanks for going on. Yes, thank you, Bill. All right. Adios. Thank you do so we much, do Bill. do we get to get a photo in the banana suit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do it. So that was Code Red Bill, and we were honored to have him. 
especially for as long as we uh, got to speak to him, it to me was like like we said at the top, like a real interesting insight into the actual process and the day to day of you know distributing your own stuff, putting out movies on a, on your own label, um, which I think both of us have fantasized about doing at one point or another, and and it's it, it's really a powerful thing to hear someone who's been in this business a little while and what their experience has been. And and I don't know, I don't want to say it soured me on the idea altogether, but it's certainly somewhat sobering and, you know, just really gave me pause. It it would sour me to doing it full time. That's for sure. Like trying to do that as you're living. Like I feel like I'm still in the framework where it'd be like, Oh, if I could release like two things a year, that'd be so cool. Like you're like really, you know, picking that thing that's really hard to find. And, but then that's not trying to do it for a living hearing about the guys, the competition between all these businesses. And obviously, you know, he's not, uh, you know, being specific, but obviously inferring to certain companies, uh, you know, the competitive nature of what they're doing, both getting the titles, but also, you know, uh, buyers only have so many dollars and then scream factory who have been on um you know shockwaves a bunch of times always would tell us about that that it's that competition that a a collector is only gonna buy so many each month you know now that there's so many people in that game from arrow to them to vinegar syndrome that's uh you know synapse i mean there's just all these uh people which for us for me and you and everyone listening here this is a great thing you know because we want all this material we don't really think about it from the people who are making the material so uh yeah it was definitely definitely eye-opening but uh you know he's still he's still putting out stuff and he's got some really i mean the fact that he's taking this huge risk on these argento and michelle sovi titles to me is exciting especially as like a big you know argento drum uh you know drummer drum beater supporter yeah uh, opera is a great movie I yeah opera is terrific so i just you know it's a lot of money they're investing in and i know you know from running a business you can take one investment in something that doesn't pay off and that can be it you know in small businesses so yeah. i'm sure he's he's had a bunch of ups and downs but well and just to hear the amount of money spent on certain titles um kind of not not shocking necessarily, but but definitely uh, again also eye opening. Um, and on top of that, to hear that he's mailing stuff out himself and and everything like that, I, I like I said, that's a whole lot of that's a whole lot of stuff I didn't quite know going. But in. I'd say yeah, what's really important for people that I think the takeaway here is that we both got a photo with Banana Man. <laughs> And yeah. because of that, our lives are at least fulfilled. Um, I'm stoked. That was cool to see at Banana Man in person. Yeah, yeah, indeed it was. So we have our five because uh, I apologize in advance to uh, Shockwave's listeners who will have heard me uh, discuss almost all five of mine at some point in uh, old shows. But I went with – there's a lot of interesting Code Red films I could mention here. I decided I'm just going to go with the five I'm most passionate about. Uh, not necessarily best or anything like that, but these are movies that I just like, oh, I can't wait to talk about them in general. So that's how I rolled. Uh, you want to go first? Mm, sure. <laughs> um, this one comes under the category of 
please ask Bill to re-release. <laughs> uh, this is one that no one will be able to see. Uh, I've already probably, and some of these will have already been mentioned in the interview before. Uh, this this is one I found out about this year. Uh, it was my birthday present from my buddy Webb uh, Wilcoxon uh, from New York, uh, and he gave me Night of a Thousand Cats. <laughs> By themselves, they are only a harmless pussycat. A thousand strong, they become a man-eating machine. After seeing this terrifying movie, you will never be able to look another cat in the eye. The management of this theater offers free burial insurance to anyone who dies of fright during the film. Caskets are optional on the West Coast. When the cats are hungry, run for your lives. Renee Fordona Jr., 1972. The problem with this disc is it is on a double feature with House of Insane Woman. And I don't know the exact problem, and I didn't really get it from Bill in the interview, but what I understand is twofold. One is that I think House of Insane Woman might have been in the wrong real order or something when they mastered it or the, what the copy they got. And so people were complaining about it. And because of that, he was like, well, screw screw you, then I'm pulling it. Um, the, the release in general, which meant Night of a Thousand Cats, which is on the second part of the bill, lost out. Uh, that's one thing I've heard. It could also be, like Bill was kind of saying about subtitles, there's a longer... Uh, Mexican language version, uh, Spanish language, but the actual Mexican release uh, of the film that has a couple extra scenes. You can see it on YouTube. It adds nothing to this movie. This movie is a perfectly lean, like uh, 80 minutes, and it really you don't need 10 seconds more. It is the perfect, uh, perfect length. It's directed by Rene Cordona Jr. who made Barracuda and uh, the astounding Hugo Stiglitz who also acts in that. He literally in every shot looks like he's in that commercial. I am the most interesting man in the world, you know, <laughs> and and it's hilarious. Like it, it was one of those movies I could tell my friend, my friend was a little hesitant to recommend because he had had a perfect experience watching it like in a, I think the exhumed film festival in Philadelphia and he he just said it was like on the perfect wavelength the time it came he was like a little concerned but it's a movie that had been on my list to see for like years and I've been wanting to see a copy um, and so he showed it to me and it was my favorite thing of the year <laughs> like I was like this is my favorite thing I have watched this year 100% it is so much fun. Uh, so he's basically Hugo Stiglitz also produced. So no wonder he looks so damn good uh, wearing his sunglasses. Very kind of Hugh Hefnery. Uh, he's a millionaire playboy who owns his own little kind of uh, almost almost like a little island. Uh, and it's in Acapulco. And he literally just flies around his private helicopter by himself wearing his sunglasses and he'll literally just fly down to women's apartments and try to pick them up if he sees them sunbathing <laughs> and it's the craziest thing you've ever seen and then if he gets one he takes them back to his like weird little castle it's literally like a weird castle in the middle of nowhere uh and he has like a bald henchman who looks like he's out of you know a 17th century movie uh like an edgar Allan post cycle film who's like bald and uh, his name's gorgo and his mute helper uh so the girls the girls who come here are always like oh this looks a little suspect but whatever guy's got a castle i'm gonna roll with it uh they go inside uh and inevitably uh after they've had their physical pleasures uh, the girls tend to be thrown into a giant pit of a thousand starved cats all real cats it's crazy uh and then their heads are put in these plastic uh, or, I mean, these glass containers that he keeps by his bed. There's no real explanation exactly why he does it. I think his father a hunt, was a hunter, and he's got these weird hunters. Clearly, it's, you know, 
pure insanity, but it's one of those movies that everything's so kind of heightened and bizarre and, and the fragmented nature of the edit itself, because it has been cut down actually helps it a lot because it moves it along in a way that's so kind of unnarrative, but you just make the leaps and you don't uh, worry too much. I think if it was bogged down with narrative, it would be, it would just be dead. Like I don't think it could work at all. And I think people craving the longer version probably wouldn't enjoy it as much as just my guess. I understand people wanting it, of course. Uh, but it is so entertaining. Like just, and then there's like a little girl who waves to him and it looks like he's going to abduct her and, you know, he just <laughs> flies down and like gives her a doll or something. And you're like, what on earth is this movie about? Um, I, I just can't say enough fun things about it. And now that said, it's definitely one of those movies that if you overhype, somebody could be, you know, deeply uh, disappointed, especially if it's not for everyone this is the kind of movie where like if i'm trying to think what other movies i guess this is if we were doing and we are we've talked about doing a holy fucking shit episode which i'm sure we will maybe even this season this would definitely have been in that cut you know it's it's one of those things where you're like oh my god i can't believe i'm watching this especially with all the cats and some of the stuff there might be some borderline cruelty to animals uh cats and dogs have obviously never uh done that well in certain cultures mexico italy hungary there's places that just really don't treat them because there's so many of them uh but it's not terrible it won't that probably wouldn't be enough to put you off anyway this movie has to be seen to be believed i'd say this episode will probably also try to get as many uh trailers posted as we can yeah um that sounds amazing uh <laughs> i can confirm it <laughs> I just I can't the Italians man or I don't know they, well this one's technically Mexico is it Mexico uh, okay but, but what's funny is nothing about it looks like Mexico it complete he looks Italian he looks smooth and it must be on purpose they're trying to not look like a Mexican culture they're trying to look like high-end Italian like classy I love that they aspire to Italian that's, that's I funny. think so I mean no, that's that, funny I really think that's what they're doing in this movie so but it's it's wild yeah, um, I went ahead and for my um, five-ish, um, I think all of them are available uh, right now or vaguely right now whenever this goes up on Bill's Code Red Big Cartel site. So you'd go, you'd search Code Red DVD and you can go to the store there and it's his Big Cartel where he sells the Blu-rays. There's one, my number one, is available elsewhere and I'll say that. Um, so, but obviously that wasn't a mandate when we did this list. I just happened to be like, Oh, well, let me just check on these as I was doing it. Um, so my number five slot is actually a tie, uh, because I, in the process of re watching and rewatching some of these movies, uh, I realized that at least a couple of them had, were so similar that it seemed silly to waste two slots on two movies that are similar enough. The first one's called Truck Stop Women. Smith, take a little tip. Don't pick up any hitchhikers out there, especially broads. It ain't safe. <laughs> from 1974. And this is an early film from Mark L. Lester, who will be discussed uh, <laughs> in a later episode <laughs> That's true. in season two. Uh, he directed stuff like Commando, Roller Boogie, Class of 1984, Firestarter, and others. Um, and this was either my first or second Claudia Jennings movie. Uh, I love her. She's, she's great. She's amazing. Uh, it, it was either this or Great Texas Dynamite Chase. 
which I might have seen because of Danny Perry and and the and one of the cult movies books. I can't remember. Um, but this one was for a long time not available on video outside of VHS until Bill put this Blu-ray out. And the Blu-ray looks really nice. It's a widescreen, you know, two, three, five to one movie. And anyway, it's uh, Claudia Jennings, stunningly sexy, and she is. I don't know. She's sexy in this like sort of unassuming way, at least from my point of view, which kind of makes her even more sexy. And she's a redhead. And there's just something about seventies Claudia Jennings. That's really appealing. She was a playboy playmate of the month in November, I think 1969 and playmate of the year in 1970. And soon after that, she started to get cast or pursue acting in lots of lower budget, sexy movies and eventually became sort of a queen of the B movies. Um, and so and then died. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately died tragically yeah. died very young. Uh, I think in a car accident on the PCH, yeah, yeah. I think she fell asleep. At the, I can't remember if she fell asleep at the wheel or, or what happened, but it was, it was very sad. Um, Cause she is just, I mean, she's not like a Gene Seberg or anything exactly, but she is a presence and she is, just captivating. Um, so anyway, she and this other gal, um, have this scam going in this movie where they pretend to be broken down by the side of the road and they get truckers to pull over and then they knock them out and steal their trucks and take the loads of whatever the truckers are carrying, um, to this, uh, truck stop that her mother runs and they repaint the trucks and resell the loads. And it's this whole thing. Um, and, then at a certain point, the mob kind of gets wind of it and they become involved. And then it becomes a sort of a standoff between the mob and these, you know, this truck stop people. Um, but it is both, uh, funny and sometimes, uh, you know, it's mostly, it's mostly a comedy. There are some spots where it gets a little violent or it gets a little, um, more bleak. But I would say for the most part, it's a comedy. There's copious amounts of nudity. Um, and so it feels like a prototypical drive-in movie, a good trucker movie, like a slightly lighter take on the world of trucking than, say, White Line Fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would still make an interesting double with light, White Line Fever, I think. Um, or Truck Stop Turner. Or, yeah, or Truck Turner. <laughs> yes, that's a great movie. Um <laughs> I haven't so, seen the one you're talking about. That I've seen the cover, and it look. This is what I love about Code Red. I there's still a ton I haven't seen, and they all sound like interesting. They're just telling me what you've told me, I'm like, yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's like I said, there's it's a it was a different time when so much nudity was poured into movies um, versus now. It's I mean, not a better, that a better time. It, yeah, in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, especially yeah, the thing that Claudia Jennings has. Uh, is there's no shame and nudity there's a freeness of the body that is like refreshing in that time period because you know you're still in a bit of the sex love uh you know drugs kind of period and i think that's a it's a good thing it's a positive you know yeah not to get too um sort of sleazy about it but there is definitely a difference between the women and the bodies of the women in 70s films versus 80s and 90s films and uh i i I do enjoy that as, as an older dude, I still enjoy that. Um, so, uh, my tie with that one is a movie called revenge of the cheerleaders. And this is from 1976. And here we are the hometown honey. 
and this movie is nutty. Uh, it's uh, Tarantino's a fan of it. It played at one of those Austin QT fests that I've talked about on the show before. Um, it opens with this amazing song. Uh, I think it's called I Feel Good, but it's not James Brown. It's something else. Um, and a bunch of cheerleaders driving around in a convertible, changing into their cheerleaders' outfits, getting naked like in the first five minutes. And it's really about like this... <laughs> this rundown high school where the cheerleaders are debaucherous and um, trying to like throw orgies in the middle of um, the guy's locker room and spiking the, you know, lunch food with drugs. And the school is basically on a serious decline and then they get a new principal and he's kind of at war with the cheerleaders. And that's the gist of the, and then they Hmm. sort of, find their way to get back at him. And anyway, um, it's got rainbow Smith, uh, who's a cult actress and she's, she was actually pregnant in the movie. So they (laughs) worked it into the plot. She's a pregnant cheerleader. Hmm. Um, but, but anyway, it's, it's sleazy and silly and it has a really ridiculous and ridiculously young David Hasselhoff being a goofball. Oh, I've seen this as a film where he, he, he has the testicles that are, like way out of balance when there's like a nude shower scene with him. I maybe um, I, uh, yeah, there definitely like, is a nude shower scene, but I can't remember if he's in. Okay. It okay. No, the, the, okay. I've seen this at a, uh, all nighter and it was so interesting. I had no memory until you said Hasselhoff and it's definitely has to be the movie cause it's like cult. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's like in a shower thing and, and it gets a big reaction from the audience only because there's like quite a disparity and it's like very noticeable. <laughs> One of those moments that people so he had react. like stunt nuts or something. Like I, I, I don't know or if it's just like, you know, out of bounds, but it was, you know, he wasn't the shame to let it all hang out. Uh, but yeah. I remember it being very amusing. Like yeah. a very film. it's, it's ridiculous and silly and weird and even more nudity than truck stop women. So, um, definitely a drive in double feature waiting to happen there. So, yeah. And you get to see the full half. <laughs> Everybody that wants that. <laughs> Everybody wants that. So, so that's that. That's my slot. All right. You did that slyly. Your little double, double build. You're going to have, we're going to have like 20 movies here. Um, but mine, uh, for this net, for my number four, I actually picked 17 movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they're in alphabetical order. So brace yourself. All right. Let's do this. Uh, I did a trailer. There was a trailer at the New Beverly once, uh, years ago. And I, it was a movie I hadn't heard of. And I was just like, holy shit. It was like, you meant to be the most violent movie ever made. And it just was totally engaging. Well, before we had ever heard of a little movie called The Hateful Eight, there was a movie called Cutthroats Nine. They were desperate criminals, chained together, driven by a vengeful sergeant. They feared nothing. They were destined to die shackled like animals. Cutthroats 9. Director Joaquin Romero Merchant, uh, 1972. And when it came out finally on Blu-ray by Code Red, I was first in line to push that button because I had seen this trailer. And I remember the trailer had something really funny at the end. It was... um, it, well, it, well, first it said it was the most violent film ever on a screen, but then it said, you know, for your protection, you'll be given a terror mask to wear in the theater <laughs> that will shield you from the, you know, the That's awful violence. William Castle shit right I there. I know, but it did, which is unusual because this is a Western, and this is, this is my favorite thing about it is, you know, a lot of us, I'm a big spaghetti Western fan. Sometimes I might be a bigger spaghetti fan than, uh, you know, a classical Western fan, but this is called a paella. 
uh, Western because it comes from Spain. And this is something I did not know before this, that any of the Western knockoffs that were happening uh, in Spain were called Paella Westerns, which I think is really cool. Um, this It's very simple. It, it has one factor right up front. This is probably enough to sell most people listening is it's a snow western and that's all I fucking need. Like I am like the great silence is a movie I love. Uh, I think that's a, a spellbounding movie. There's something about seeing the western an old western played out in a snowy uh, landscape that is just super engaging. Uh, again, Hateful Eight obviously took a little thing there. Um it so that's one hand the story and there's a lot of parallels to the Hateful Eight. The main one being you take the nastiest unlikable you know, human beings and stick them in one space, uh, you know, more literally in um, Tarantino's film in, in the, you know, the place they hold up, whereas in this, they're kind of on the move. So it's basically uh, a, a hard ass sergeant is transporting uh, a bunch of uh, these cutthroat, some of the most violent mercenaries uh, in the West. And he's, but he's doing so with his wife and is his wife or his wife's already dead. I know his wife's already dead. His uh, beautiful daughter. Of course you take your daughter on that trip uh, in a snowbound country. And they're all the cool, the coolest hook in the film. There's one twist. I just don't want to reveal because it was so cool in the movie. Uh, But all the convicts are shackled together with uh, their legs are all on leg braces, all connected to uh, all nine of them. And uh, at some point, you know, in the middle of the film, they basically take, they get, there's an accident, they get free, and then they're in charge, and they're still trying to get to their destination. Uh, there's a long story there. I won't get into it. It becomes very dark, very violent, sadistic, misogynistic. There's a lot of stuff that's happening that's nasty, but there's also some really fun, playful twists in here. I can literally watching this movie, because I watched it before I'd seen, you know, probably a year before Hateful Eight. Or, or a few months before, uh, I could literally watch it seeing the wheels turning in Quentin Tarantino's head because there are so many things that you would want to grab or, or think about or fun references. It's it's a great little movie. And if you're into nasty movies that uh, you know have real payoff and then you like westerns that kind of push the limit occasionally, this is absolutely um, on my must list. I, I, it was my number one, I believe, for your... Um, Discoveries. Uh, discoveries yeah i believe so I, I in fact three films uh have been from uh my code from code red have actually been my number one spot for you the uh, rituals you know which i won't be talking about today but i have before was number one spot and one later on in today's thing was the number one which is crazy of all the companies for it to be code red that's pretty wild yeah no i mean it's like we say a lot of interesting stuff mm-hmm. um so my number four slot goes to um, I, a film from director Toby Hooper. No. And this is Spontaneous Combustion from 1990. Sam Kramer must uncover the mystery of his own life. By all rights, you should never have been born. And if it wasn't for me, you never would have been. And fight fire. I will use my gift. With fire. Uh, which I hadn't seen, honestly, until this Blu-ray. I have not seen that film. I've always heard about it and oh, always heard mixed things, and I'm so I might have to borrow that. Yes, definitely. Uh, our friend uh, Mike Williamson is a big, big fan, if I recall. Of course, <laughs> of any Toby Hooper fan. I, I want to say it's like this and like The Mangler. Are it's those? The Mangler. his... Mangler's his jam. Yeah, they're they're way up there for him. But um, I think it's really interesting. It's it's like the story of uh, Brad Dorif plays 
a guy whose parents were part of a uh, 1950s top secret experiment exposing them to like massive amounts of atomic bomb radiation and they died but they had this child and he uh, basically at the point where he's at is discovering he has the power to set people on fire uh, in person and even over the phone um, and so he's sort of it's almost like a twisted X-Men movie you know or something I don't it know it sounds badass it's it's pretty cool man I don't know um, it's there's just something about the the cinematic quality of fire and people being burned mm-hmm. alive. Oh yeah. oh yeah, it's one of the greatest things ever. I mean, we, were, we you know you talked about it on Shockwaves, but like, don't go in the house and the flamethrower and that. There's something about fire that just really, I think we can all relate to it. We can all relate to heat and being burned and how awful it would be to be engulfed in flames and be burned alive. And um, there's nothing I like less than CGI fire. Of yeah. all the things you can do in CGI, I feel like fire because I think it's easier to do for one, uh, and they do it a lot. You watch and you just go yeah i don't feel any danger i feel nothing it's just like you might as well just color it flashing red and it say it's the same thing you know it's there's something that and blood those two things yep. are two things that and i think part of the reason we don't buy it is because we've already been sold it for real in movies we've already seen what real fire looks like on screen and what real blood or like you know good practical blood looks like instead of a cg blood so you can't you can't do that to me now, you know? Yeah, it takes you out. I mean, it, it takes the stakes away from perilous situations, and blood and fire are two situations in movies that create peril and suspense, and when you make them not real, it, it definitely affects you. And when you see that they are real, it also very much affects you. Um, that's something I never get, I don't want to say get never get tired of, because it sounds like I'm some kind of a weirdo if I'm like, yeah, I love seeing people get set on fire in movies. <laughs> but when you see it, you're like, that's fucking real. And <laughs> that person is really burning. Uh, obviously, they're protected in some way. And sometimes it doesn't look like they're very well protected. Um, but there's something about that in movies that I've always found really compelling. I've and, also noticed that they don't, um, you know, when cars had car accidents, they always exploded in the past. Like always, <laughs> every single movie that ever had a car accident, they almost never do anymore. Yeah, like they just have car accidents, and and probably that's more. Yes, it's more realistic, of course. I bet most cars don't explode when they have a crash, but man, do I miss exploding cars. <laughs> yeah, car explosions, explosions uh, in general in movies yeah. is it, pyrotechnics is one of the the last bastions of practical effects that. I feel like hung on a little bit longer than some of the other stuff. Um, but I could be wrong. Maybe that's just my own sense of it. But anyway, it's real. It's real. What you're watching is real. Yeah. It's really happening. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of maybe dudes have, uh, some pyromaniac streak in them. I, I don't know if you had it as a kid, but I definitely did. Um, I didn't. I wasn't creepy about it. I didn't like to set animals on fire or anything like that. But I think we could do a good edit of your uh, stories today and make you sound super perverse. <laughs> you <laughs> talk about seventies nudity and, and setting uh, things on fire. Setting things on fire. Yeah, you're right. I'm not looking real good this episode. <laughs> anyway, um, so Brad Dourif, who is just a great actor, and I think a little underrated. Uh, is he's sort of discovering the conspiracy that surrounds how he got his powers. He becomes sort of more and more, um, I don't want to say enraged, but basically shit gets worse as he finds out more and it sort of elevates to a nice climax. And I, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I, I really think it's a nice latter effort 
latter day effort from Toby Hooper. So what was the? Do you have? Did you? I don't know if you had time to read up, but why is it so maligned? Because this is a film that I've only ever read or seen dismissive comments about. That's the reason I've just never made it to it. I don't know, man. I I haven't read much in the way of reviews, and I hmm. just assumed that. Maybe people thought some of it was cheesy, but or maybe some people aren't into Brad Dourif for some reason. Hmm. Um, he he seems like an actor that could be um, somebody that turns people off. Uh, that might it, he doesn't he doesn't feel real in a certain way. He feels heightened, but to me in a really cool way. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I mean, so maybe he's the thing that pulls people. I don't know. That's maybe the fire pulls. People, I don't know. Maybe people think the story is stupid. I'm not sure, but. I like it. Look, well, look, I have to look it up because I'm. Yeah, I, I'll definitely be borrowing that one of you, uh, hopefully soon, because I want to watch that. Yeah, man. Um, cool. Uh, my number three is. Uh, this is my other favorite thing. It doesn't happen that often, and this isn't a kinder trauma thing. This is like, if you've ever seen a movie but like forgot the title, um, it was a all a twenty four hour film festival. Uh, oh, everyone knows, um, but Namathon, right? Uh, but Namathong that Harry Knowles does for his birthday in Austin, Texas. So uh, I was living in America when I was like 21, and it was But Namathon number two. So it was the second time it was ever going to happen, and they said that t- most of it is his friends and stuff like that and other critics from Ain't It Cool. But at that time, they put two tickets up for grabs uh, through the Internet. I can't remember how. And the guy I was working at in Irvine at, at, at uh, Edwards Movie Theater. I can't remember. It's whatever the art house movie theater was uh, down there. And me and the guy working there, he won it. Uh, the ticket. Like, just just crazy luck. And so me and him went down to Austin. So we got to attend, you know, this guy who I didn't really even follow. Ain't it cool at that time? Uh, it was before I kind of knew about it. And so we got to go to this 24 hour movie marathon for his birthday. I think it's 24 hour. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's some great movies. I remember, I remember Robocop screening in the middle of the night, like at 4am and you know, lots of cool stuff. But the one movie, it, all I remembered is it had a guy driving a car and one of the most crazy beheadings I'd ever seen in my life, like a log from the car in front goes into the windshield and just doesn't only like hit him in the head. Like you always see people skewered. It like knocks the head back. And it's just one of the most like, Oh my God, what? But for some reason, probably the time I had seen the movie, I just forgot what the movie was. Uh, and so when, uh, code red released it, I guess I saw the trailer and I was like, Oh, that's the movie. And I think part of the, confusion was the title problem because it was originally uh well not originally at one point it was called night warning but the release was butcher baker nightmare maker you're gonna stay here with us everything's going so wrong i just wanted to show billy i needed his protection i didn't mean to kill that man but he hit me he hurt me uh, how I didn't remember the rest of the movie is beyond me because the rest of the movie is even more wild than that opening. Um, this is one of those movies. It's one of my, like, this is like one I hold dear. Like when I tell somebody you got to see this movie, I really mean it. It's, it's bonkers in all the right ways. And it is, it's an Oedipus story. Uh, I like to call it auntie dearest. Uh, cause it's really a, a, an aunt version of mommy dearest It's a little bit of Carrie field at times. Uh, it, it's got these weird, like gay overtones and then homophobic undertones. Like it's, it's saying things very clearly in some ways. Cause, uh, Bo Svensson, 
who you all probably, uh, <laughs> if you heard the interview a few minutes ago with uh, Bill Olson, there's some pretty funny phone messages left from uh, Bo Svensson. But uh, Bo Svensson plays this kind of homophobic cop, and one of the characters who dies uh, earlier in the film was is a gay character. So he has these kind of, so it's kind of very overt what they're talking about. But then there's also chances that the lead character could actually be struggling with this. So it, the way it deals with that sexuality is pretty interesting and kind of in your face, but in a way that, almost feels more honest because it's overt um but this is a crazy crazy movie it's really about uh, a young boy he's a baby at the start whose parents die straight away like you know minute one and he is with his aunt who is a bit older and she is gives one of the best genre performances in the history of the movies at susan tyrell who both of us are huge fans and you will hear when we do our twilight time episode our love of a movie called fat city by john houston i know for a fact that both of us would have that on our list uh it wouldn't even be up for grabs so we'll probably both just uh have to neither of us will probably and we'll just talk about it but uh she's she's just one of those really interesting actors she looks like someone who would have worked with lynch a lot she always reminds me of um, one of the actresses who does work with lynch uh it's an incredibly intense performance where she is basically uh you know more or less obsessed by her uh, nephew who she's now raised as her son and there's very all sorts of weird ancestral kind of moments without it being initially fully that kind of story she just doesn't want to let him go and she's very lonely and then she commits a murder in the house and it, it, you know it's there about halfway through it's just this crazy downward spiral of need and oppression of somebody you know an innocent who you've raised it is it's one of those movies you really can't explain so you're like you want to see a crazy performance you know just watch this but it's crazy in the way that i it's effective because it feels still feels real and she's giving it everything this isn't just like bonkers for the sake of being bonkers she's just laying it all down there and i think and there's a cool uh interview it's a beautiful release it's a, a dvd only but it it's one of the only DVDs I've ever watched where I felt like, yeah, I don't even feel like it could look better than that. It looks so good that it looked almost like a Blu-ray to me. Um, and there's a cool interview with her, but she she died not long after, sadly. Uh, but there's a really cool uh, little interview, and she just had a lot of personality, even in her real life. But it's also famous for uh, a, a fun Bill Paxton uh, cameo as a uh, well he's more than a cameo but he's like kind of a bully and doesn't get along with the main guy jimmy mcnichol uh it, you know it's it's a it's a fascinating movie and this is like if you're into really kind of crazy movies you just blind blind buy it if you can and and just trust us uh the nightwing trailer i mean not nightwing night uh night warning trailer is incredibly misleading I watched it before recording tonight. It's almost like looking at a totally different movie because it says like, you know, a guy and a girl in love stumble into a murder, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? <laughs> like he lives in the house. That's his aunt. What are you? It's a terrible off-putting trailer. So I much prefer, the, and I love the title, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah, great title. Susan Tyrell is one of those really special actresses that was able to put so much into her performances that you watch her in fat city and it's just like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's something else. Uh, and the one thing, so it's always fun to do this show cause we learned something we didn't know before I, I studied, looked up the director a bit because it's also really, really well directed, uh, both, both kind of the craft and technique and, and it's really dark. So I look up the guy and the guy, William Asher hadn't really done much, many movies. He was most famous for directing. I love Lucy and bewitched. 
like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, all positive, happy TV shows. And then this movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, wow, that is so cool. Like, what a career. Like, that must be just so fun to be able to leave something so steady and, you know, positive and then go and let out all your kind of madness. Um, anyway, awesome movie. Yeah, um, I'm glad I have this on DVD. Um, my next slot is filled by a movie called After, well, 2019 After the Fall of New York. Since the nuclear holocaust, 20 years have passed. But planet Earth has been reduced to a garbage-strewn radioactive desert, inhabited by humans devoid of all hope for a future. In this sector, in exactly 30 seconds, the hunters and exterminators will begin total disinfestation. If you go to New York and bring us back that woman, I'll guarantee you a seat for the journey. And um, the Italians are great at ripoffs, as we discussed at length in our ripoffs episode. And this movie could easily have been on anybody's list in the ripoffs episode. It is... Um, the setup is basically it's 20 years after a nuclear holocaust and there have it's been like 15 years since a human child has been born so there is um there's a there's like i guess one woman left that's fertile and so it's it's kind of ripping off escape from new york it's kind of ripping off the road warrior um, the Snake Plissken ask character is sent into New York to get the last fertile woman to help repopulate <laughs> the world. <laughs> but before he gets to New York, um, we cut to a scene of him in this like uh, Road Warrior slash Mad Mask Mad Max ask race where he's got like one of those vehicles that looks like he's in the middle of the desert and they're racing around a track with these armored vehicles and stuff like that. So it's got elements of multiple movies, which is one of the things I've always liked about Italian movies. Like they rip off, they'll sometimes they'll rip off one movie, but most of the time they're, it's like this blender of mm -hmm. obvious ripoffs and that's really entertaining. Um, so this movie also has like lasers, cyborgs and other cool vehicles besides the ones you see at the beginning. It's got, some stuff that feels like Star Wars almost, like these corridor shots. I don't know. It, there's just a lot going on. Um, another podcast I like, Junk Food Cinema, did a whole episode on this movie, and they love it too, so definitely check that out. And The score is like an Italian version of Harold Faltermeyer in spots and John Carpenter in other spots, so that's really sort of entertaining. Um, but it's it's outlandish and violent and weird. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, th I had seen it, but it had been a long time and code red just put this one out through their, um, I think it's on the big cartel site and it's also on the, uh, Ronin flicks site, which I recommend people check out. They sell both Scorpion and code red discs at the Ronin flicks site. Um, so it, I don't know. This this one's a lot of fun. As Italian ripoffs go, it's near the top of my list. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either, and that sounds a lot of fun. I, I my problem is like <laughs> with all of those titles, I can never tell the difference. I'd see the cover, and I'm like, oh wow, they all look like crazy Mad Max, you know? Well, yeah, and there's a couple that are named similarly too. Like I can't remember. The, there's Escape the Bronx, and then a couple others that are have similar names. So that makes it even harder to tell them apart. Hmm. 
Um, my number two spot is, uh, even though it's at my number two, it is actually my favorite discovery of the last few years in terms of like, because my number one is not a discovery. Uh, I just am so crazy about, like when I saw this, it was so unexpected. And, and this was sometimes when I say discovery often, you know, it's a friend, uh, like, you know, it was my friend, uh, Shane Bitterling who, who told me about, showed me rituals. So it's like, you're, I'm discovering it. Sure. But somebody's passing it along to me, which is kind of like what we do on the show. Same with night of a thousand cats. This one, I hadn't heard anyone mention this film before. I'd seen the cover a long time ago. And then when I, I, uh, finally I spent good money on it because it was actually out of print from Code Red at the time uh, and in the interview he said he has some more copies so maybe they can come out uh, this is a the film Soul Survivor I feel like I'm about to be caught something beyond life is watching her stalking her and now is coming to get her S-O-L-E directed by Tom Eberhardt who is the director of uh, Night of the Comet you know and this one's from 83 Uh, the thing about this movie that blew me away so much is I am a big big fan uh, of It Follows and I know that was a polarizing one for some people uh, when it came out you know my co-hosts on Shockwaves we were all pretty split which is hard for me to believe because when I watched it it just it it just felt like it was hitting all those things that I wanted that like a carpenter esque feel you know almost carpenter nightmare analysis all these things and it just it was exciting to watch it was dangerous at sexuality you know so that movie really did it for me and when I watched Soul Survivor it, it's kind of like I would love to know if the director had seen this film because if not I will be I mean it's very possible he hasn't because it's very obscure but it is so close in so many ways. And even crazier is it's really also a total, uh, you know, um, map print for Final Destination. It's really literally emerging of It Follows vibe and kind of, especially with the kind of the dead people, that feeling and Final Destination's vibe of death coming for you and altering. Um, there's even a scene where literally something invisible is moving objects around and creating an an almost industrial accident to kill the person like it's it's exactly final destination and this is made in 83 uh, and this is a time this movie has just got such a small kind of um footprint now and this is what i love about code red because this isn't like some minor oh yeah i saw this little movie souls it's pretty cool like to me this was like a major discovery like holy shit how is this brilliant like i want to write something about this movie like and it takes a lot for me to want to write now <laughs> you know um it's basically so the basic premise uh, exactly like final the first final destination more or less it's, is there's a woman who is the uh, she works on a TV station and she is the sole survivor of a plane crash and I think the night before there'd been a, a phone message left I can't remember if it's for her or not but there's this other psychic character who's had a vision of the plane crash initially and tries to warn somebody but the this woman is on the plane anyway and she's it's, there's a great image of her just sitting in her seat still as everything else the wreckage is burning around and all the people bodies are sprayed out just an amazing again when you're watching a little independent horror film you're not expecting like a big shot like that something that kind of alludes to a bigger um thing and then she so she survives unscratched um and then she starts feeling like unworthy of having survived so it's interesting how it kind of shapes the psychology of somebody who would survive something like that and then she starts hearing things and seeing weird people looking at her and then it gets full-on 
you know, full on it follows in that sense of like uh, recently deceased people are coming back and like coming for her uh, to get her because, you know, and you never have death per se where either there's no death wearing a black coat or anything like that. But there's there's a cool shot where you see like a little it's on the cover of the um, the DVD, but you see like the glowing eye skull. Uh, in one of the uh, airport airplane, one of the things called where they track the planes um, on the monitors. Control towers, yeah, and it's super creepy. It's just like this one little image you see at one point, but it has some sequences that are like, I'm a big, I'm not really like, I don't need big, big, um, you know, big payoff all the time with horror. I don't need just to kill every few seconds. It's nice, obviously, with slasher films. I'm an atmosphere junkie, and it's all about creating dread and a tone and atmosphere, and this movie is just oozing with it, and there's some scenes where she is, like, being followed by something dead coming back, uh, and there's, like, you know, there's one scene where somebody had been drowned, and there's water everywhere as the person's coming for you. It is it is actually unnerving uh, and creepy, and it's such a simple premise, but it is, it's literally, I, I, I would be, I'd really love, actually, ironically, as I'm recording this, uh, Jeffrey Reddick, <laughs> who wrote Final Destination, is going to be the next guest on <laughs> Killer Shockwaves. So I'll have my chance to on air ask him uh, if Soul Survivor was in fact <laughs> something he had seen. Because I think I've asked him on the street before, uh, but I don't think I've ever asked him, and I don't even remember the answer, if he had seen it or not. But it's it would be it's just hard to believe that it follows in final destination hadn't been influenced by this movie, but it's so obscure that it's totally possible that they're just having similar ideas. But so if you're, if those things appeal to you, then this is like an absolute must track. You know, obviously it's on eBay at a certain price, but I think it would be cool if we could get enough people writing to bill. And he said, he's definitely got some left in a warehouse, you know, maybe he'll be willing to put it out. I think he just needs to know that people will actually come through and buy it. Yeah. And I would be one of those people, but I haven't seen it. Um, Maybe that'll be the one I'll come and bring over to your house if we get a movie night. That sounds good. I think you'll dig it. No, I'm totally down. I mean, I loved It Follows. I'm 100% on board with you. That movie and the Final Destination movies I think are fun. And regardless of those movies, the premise of this just sounds really interesting and up my alley. So. And he's a good director. He's a guy, and again, we always are looking on Shockwaves for people we haven't talked to. I, I'm like Tom Eberhardt. I'm really curious to try to track him down because he doesn't have a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, he did Night of the Comet, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great that. movie. So, yeah, so I mean, well between made. those two. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got to see that one. Um, my number two slot is filled by uh, a movie I found, I believe, in the checklist in the back of Guide for the Film Fanatic, which, for those that don't have that book, it's like there, there's... 1600 little essays and then there's a checklist in the back we may have mentioned this on the show but it has like uh, it's alphabetical it has the little title of the film and then like a cm or a pr like personal recommendation or cult movie and this one had a cm after it and it's called moonshine county express not too bad left over from a daddy still well, what difference does it make you get a better price for it and that swill you pedal for starkey that means gentlemen we got competition. Competition that nobody warned me about. Uh, from 1977. And I'd never heard of it, but it was one of those movies that had a gigantic Warner Brothers clamshell box mm-hmm. like Rock and Roll High School did. For some reason, certain, um, I think, New World properties were licensed to Warner, Warner um, Brothers for 
uh, VHS release, and a lot of them were pretty rare um, in the 90s. Uh, but I was able to see it back then, but I totally had forgotten the movie. Uh, it's also known as Shine, and um, the basic plot from IMDb is like, when a hillbilly moonshiner is murdered by a powerful sleazy competitor, his three armed-to-the-teeth daughters take over the family business and swear vengeance. And um, so Bill Conrad is the main bad guy. He's the one that's trying to take over. And he's always reminded me of like a second-tier Orson Welles. So he's really fun in this movie. Um, and he, the first time we see him in the movie, he's got his face wrapped in a towel and, and a, he's smoking a cigar, so it's sticking out of the towel in this way that I thought was really amusing. But the the cast is like this truly cult cast. John Saxon plays a race driver who runs Moonshine for um, Bill Conrad, but who has a liking for one of the sisters, um, so you know where his um, loyalties might shift. Um, the girls, basically their dad left them a stash of whiskey, now they need to unload it before Conrad can destroy it. The girls are played by Claudia Jennings, again, uh, and Maureen McCormick, who was Marsha from the Brady Bunch. Uh, and then another one that I don't know as well. Uh, I forget the name of the main actress, but, um, there's Dub Taylor, Jeff Corey, Candace Rielsen. Um, it's, it's a really neat sort of fun cult cast of new world favorites. Um, uh, but this movie seems like an influence on the Dukes of Hazard, which premiered like a few years later. I know that there's a specific movie that, that, show ripped off I forget I think it's like Moonrunners with Chris Mitchum maybe but I feel like this is another one that could easily have been an influence it even has like some of those musical stings that you used to get on Dukes of Hazard, like you know the ones right before a commercial break when like oh, yeah, yeah. the General Lee was like flying through the air they'd have like a little guitar <laughs> sting and this movie has some of those so anyway um, it's, it's a fun um, you know racing action car chase, you know, movie, lots of fun car stunts and moonshine and a very flirty John Saxon, uh, and Claudia Jennings not given quite enough to do, but still there. And yeah, it's, it's a fun cult item for sure. And I, I'm really psyched that, um, another one that I don't think had had a DVD, much of a DVD release at all before Bill's Blu-ray. So hats off to Bill for putting this out, on home video and, and bringing it out of the VHS dark ages. I love, uh, your ass kicking woman streak coming through today. It's good. Yeah, man. Some nice, that sounds like a good triple feature between those, uh, number five spots. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that one either. So the, <laughs> this is probably one of the only shows we've ever done where it's like, Oh, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one. Um, it's code red baby. I know this is yeah, exactly. It's our last bastion. Uh, my number one is a movie that anyone who follows me on anything will know. I love, um, it just played in the, at the New Beverly last week, and I couldn't make it on 35 mil, and I lent them my very rare poster for this movie. So I've only ever seen a poster once for it. Uh, it is Messiah of Evil. Father? I tried to warn you. I dragged one of the bodies they killed up on the beach, but you still didn't leave. A little time left. You'll have to go. Tell people on the outside... Warn them that what happened a hundred years ago is happening again. Um, directed by Willard Hike and Gloria Katz from 1973. It was also called Dead People. I've seen that as a print before projected uh, called Dead People. Uh, they are 
very famous, not for this movie. Uh, they are very famous for being the team behind Howard the Duck. Unfortunately for them, uh, that kind of really hurt their career. But they also wrote a great little movie called American Graffiti and Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Yes. So they're a great husband-wife team. Uh, technically, it says he directed it, but really it was both of them. Um, and yet, here I am, the guy who prefers this movie to all those movies. Um, you know, I, I, I love American Graffiti and Temple of Doom. But um, this is like just for me, like Carnival of Souls is a really special film to me. Um, I've talked about Val Luton on things before, but um, Carnival of Souls just has the, what can only be called, uh, you know, a nightmare horror. Nightmare horror and nightmare films are different than other horror films, in my opinion. They are often a feeling. The whole movie is the feeling of being in a dream or a nightmare. And certain logical pieces of the story could be because of editing, but it could also just be because of the way it was planned, uh, are just missing. There's literally missing pieces of information through watching the movie. And because of those missing pieces, you're watching it in a very different way. And, the, and that nightmare logic is what comes through. And this film, to me, I've often something I've talked about it before on the other show is that I think to me one of the greatest triple feature if I can ever put it on and talk about it or maybe write an essay to try to link them would be uh, Carnival of Souls Messiah of Evil and It Follows I think the three films It Follows is the most kind of literal by the end but they all three have this connective through line uh, of people you know coming uh, back and and not under never explaining what the why none of these movies really explain the why it's happening which I think is very powerful in horror and I know a lot of people don't like that in horror films that turns them off because they you know maybe uh, not having logic to cling to or, or rules uh, but I I prefer it I'm definitely somebody who nightmare the nightmare strand of horror is my bag so uh, this one's about a woman just gorgeous again it's the 70s and she's just gorgeous woman uh is going searching for a missing father who was an artist and he lives in this really cool california seaside town uh and in this really nice place and you slowly start to hear the story that uh you know something happened to him he's got these diaries that are narrated and and she gets the feeling the sense of this weird kind of cult uh kind of cult vibe and and a and a dark one who you know, came here once before and he's going to return. And it, it then goes into a very kind of, you know, pretty much like the night of the living dead day of the dead type of kind of zombie things, but they're never called zombies and they don't look quite like zombies. And they don't act quite like zombies, but it's close enough. At one point, this movie actually had uh, return of the living dead as its title and uh, Romero sued and got, they had to take it off because it, it was really cashing in on at the time. Uh, that ironically that it would go on to become a title um it also has a feeling of i think atmosphere wise if you're a fan of the fog Mm. this is definitely less narrative than the fog but it has a very similar feeling because you got the seaside town and all the quiet places there and as two of the best in my opinion two of my favorite horror scenes of any like if i was making my top 20 or 30 horror scenes it has one in a very famous one in a ralph's where a woman's kind of just dreamily going into a rouse late at night and suddenly sees a weird guy following her down the aisles. And you're like, that's weird. And then she turns a corner and all these normal customers are just eating the raw meat from the meat thing. And they all look up at her at once. And she's like, oh, fuck. And they all start chasing her. It's terrifying. Like, really. And because it's bright lit light of a supermarket, there's something that's really disturbing about it. And the other really famous scene, which is just, and funnily enough, both the most famous horror scenes don't have the lead actress in it. They're both side characters. But uh, the other one is a girl who goes to the 
movie theater and it's like she's just sitting there watching the movie and then like one person's behind her and then a second person's behind her and then like she turns around at one point and it's like the whole theater is packed with these like pale-faced carnival soul looking ghouls you know and you're like oh fuck and then they all come for her in the movie it's probably my favorite movie theater scene in a movie which i I take note of them usually i've written down like tons of for list making i always think movie theater scenes are pretty fascinating um it's just i can't say enough cool things about it it won't be for everyone because it is definitely you know it's got voiceover it feels dated at points uh it wasn't their cut the film was more or less taken away from them by the producers and certain things like the voiceover and some music were placed that they were not fans of but they're a lot more down on this movie than the critics there's a lot of people i'm not the only one who who believes this to be an absolute like american classic uh of the genre so it, they just probably because they've worked on such big things they don't they're not necessarily horror fans i think they made it just to try to you know make an initial name for themselves and um but it's yeah this is this is definitely for somebody who is looking for like that kind of um weird dreamy uh horror logic yeah, I, I love this one too a lot. I would have been on my list, but I knew you, that you. Yeah, I knew you knew. <laughs> I knew you would know that. Yeah, but it is great. It's definitely maybe my favorite Code Red release ever. And um, I think it is their best release, like yeah. in terms of like all the bonus and the way the film looks. This they put it all into that release. It's a great release. Yeah, I would. I I love the comparison to the fog. It is one of the most atmospheric, or at least for me, um, engagingly atmospheric movies. And I think part of the thing that connects to that atmosphere is is the not explaining. I think that makes me at least more tense and on edge if I if I literally can't figure it out and my mind is racing to try to, but will never get that answer. But I think the other movie I would compare it to is Let's Let's Scare Jessica to, to Death. I think yeah, those three are just great, weird, atmospheric, creepy, paranoid movies that are just some of my favorite horror films. I, I love that film. And I only saw that film, I think this year. So that will be on my, uh, or maybe it's last year on my next list. But, uh, Dick Gruner, a huge fan friend of mine. It's great. And I think that film of all the movies, that's in my top like three for what I want to see, get a Blu-ray release oh, yeah. from anyone. You know? Me too. Big, I'm glad you brought it up on shockwaves. Yeah. To, to screen factory. They're <laughs> still trying. I mean, yeah. they, they say it's not dead, dead. That's one of those ones that could still happen one day. I really yeah. hope it does. Cause it's great. But yeah, it's, this is, if if I don't know if it's still in print or not, it might be out. But I feel is, like that one comes in more often. Like it'll go away and then it comes yeah. back up. I think people have a better shot of that than maybe Soul Survivor is probably more like an eBay destination. But yeah, uh, but yeah, Messiah of Evil definitely our pick of the episode. Amazing movie. Yeah. Um, my pick is a little cheesier, but also horror, but definitely entertaining. Uh, and that's Shockma from nineteen ninety. Featuring Roddy McDowell as Professor Sorensen. And Shockma. Shocking audiences everywhere. Shockma! Cool. <laughs> um, and this movie slots right into both my, uh, my love of animals attack movies and game movies, like Scavenger Hunt or Midnight Madness or whatever. Uh, in this case, it's a bunch of medical students decide to have like a LARPing, like live action role playing live Dungeons and Dragons type game in their hospital facility over multiple floors. Um, they've even got like a nerdy computer game dude who has made a, a, a computer version of the floors of the hospital and given tracking devices to all the people so that they have like a little avatar 
you know, in a cheesy way that moves around the screen from room to room. And, uh, but you know, doing that thing that I, I kind of hate and love at the same time about eighties movies where they make a computer do something that it really couldn't do at that time, or if it could, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be functional, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's fun. So they have their game set up. They're playing their game. The one thing they didn't take into account is that they were experimenting on this baboon named Shakma and gave him this experimental drug that was supposed to make him less aggressive but had the opposite effect and he flipped out and attacked one of the students and they were supposed to put him down but the dude in charge of putting him down screwed up and and gave him the wrong administered the wrong drug and so basically he's alive and he's loose uh you know in the hospital as they're playing the game and of course he kills people in savage ways one at a time and they don't discover it until it's much later but this one's got a really fun cast, including Christopher Atkins, who I think I mentioned on a recent episode or maybe an upcoming one. Um, he was in Blue Lagoon and the pirate movie. Amanda Wiss, Nightmare on Elm Street, Better Off Dead. And Roddy McDowell plays another teacher. Uh, nice. Like a future episode, he'll be mentioned for that. <laughs> um, so, And he ends up being like the game master. Everybody talks to the game master through these walkie-talkies because it's a pre-cell phone movie. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's fun. It's just a bunch of, it's a hack, it's sort of a hack and slash, but with an animal and animal attack killer, you know, taking out these kids one at a time kind of thing. I don't know. It's like I said, it's, it hits two of my sweet spots. So, um, I don't know. I have fun with it. And the Shakma baboon is pretty crazy and they did use a real baboon for certain parts of it. So I don't know. There's something kind of nuts about that too. That's one I, I just somehow haven't watched, even though it's always been on my radar to watch. Uh, I think it played. I think Cinefamily was doing yes. a, a thing, yeah, once, and I, I should have gone. I, yeah, I always regret it. I think it was part of a holy fucking shit marathon they did. Yes. That was probably my first introduction was they did a trailer for it for their thing, and then I think I went and rented it from Cinephile or something like that years ago. Uh, this is one that you have to go to Screen Archives, they have some exclusive titles for Code Red. It's not available anywhere else, but it is still available on Screen Archive. So just an FYI for anybody that might want to pick up the Blu-ray, which looks or good. Just, or just go to Brian's. Or just come to my house. That's my plan. Um, uh, so we did a little bonus. So that's our, our five because uh, Code Red, but because um, yeah, Bill's brother, Walt Olson, uh, runs Scorpion, which I feel like the two are – you know, because they work on a lot of things together, the two companies, even in the interview, probably some of that came across. The two interviews, I think, are, uh, I mean, the two uh, labels are kind of interwoven to an extent. Uh, we decided we'd do one bonus title each from their collections because uh, it just gave us a chance to, you know, watch something else and add one more title into the foray. I know for my one, it was something I hadn't seen until today. So it was kind of exciting to get to see a new film. What was it? Uh, the film I saw today, uh, and that, that I borrowed from you, um, is it was actually uh, recommended to me from uh, Paul Karup, uh, who's definitely oh. somebody worth you guys following uh, because he is uh, he shares my deep love of Canucksploitation Canadian movies. He he is from Canada and runs the website Canucksploitation. Uh, me and him were on an episode of the Projection Booth together doing the Canadian film, which I just love, called Pin P I N, um, which you know about the. Pl- 
plastic doll that it's a very crazy horror film uh afterwards i was like i just i didn't know him but like we started talking i was like oh can you recommend me like two or three i'm also a huge fan of the pit and told him some of the canadian films i loved is there anything i hadn't seen his number one for me to watch was death ship this ship needs blood marshal which is our film uh director alvin rakoff 1980 it's written by jack hill so we've given jack hill plenty of love on the show before from coffee um this it stars basically george kennedy who we've also given lots of love to uh in 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 a sense through our modern romance love and uh richard crenna from uh, first blood uh also sal rubinek as a stand-up comic it's um at its very simplest it's uh um, Poseidon adventure in the first 10 minutes it's shed on a cruise liner George Kennedy is the um, uh, is the captain of the ship and he's kind of it's his last voyage and he's a little he's very stern and not a very fun character to be around because he's so burned out on being part of cruise ship world uh, Richard Krenner will be taking his place and so they're kind of sitting at dinner and you know you can just tell Kennedy's over it uh, and then then you cross cut to the ship where no one's on it and the ship is by itself and it's a dark ship it's a gray ship and it's just plowing towards them and every time they change course slightly it changes its course automatically and it is just and there's no one at the control so you're like what the hell is it um and it plows right into the right into the ship this is the first couple minutes so it's not really spoiler and sinks the ship and then it just fades obviously the budget changed (laughs) and then it's just like six people on a raft and it's these main characters, they survive, and they end up washing up on the shore of the uh, death ship. And as it goes, you start to realize it's more or less haunted by the kind of uh, specter of it was a Nazi interrogation ship. And they, it starts to possess one of the characters, and crazy stuff ensues. And it actually, weirdly enough, for a movie, so it's basically like Christine, you know, uh, but with a ship. Uh, it, it's it actually made me jump a couple times and I wasn't expecting that just from like, not so much cause it's scary, but like the suddenness of certain things. Uh, but it's a really good movie. Like it's the thing about a lot of the exploitation is often they're completely bonkers cause there's a lot of money, uh, being wasted on just crazy stuff because of the tax shelter that Canada was offering. This never feels like a Canadian film. This feels like a, quite a big movie because of the because of the setting on the ship um it's a great great looking ship it must be a you know real vessel that had been uh left abandoned it's it's a lot of fun i'm not going to spoil too much because i know you might not i don't know if you've seen it yet because it was still wrapped in plastic i I think (laughs) i saw it on vhs years ago but it's very kind of you to allow me to borrow ones that were still wrapped in plastic that's that's the sign of a good person um But it, it really is a great movie. Like it's a, a, a solid, thrilling, uh, dramatically pleasing. The, Kennedy and Kren are both great. It never feels cheap. It feels like uh, a really solid kind of ghost Nazi kind of uh, vibe. If that's if that's your bag, I thought it was like a great find. I really enjoyed it. Very nice. Looking forward to it. Um, and I love uh, Paul. By the way, Paul's been a contributor. Rupert Puppion speaks forever. He's cool. been doing lists forever, and his lists are always interesting. He's got really cool tastes and has dug out plenty of movies and recommended a bunch that I've both good movies and I guess quote unquote guilty pleasure movies that I are I consider favorites now. So he's quite the dude. Mm-hmm. Um, my scorpion pick is the little girl who lives down the lane from 1976. Okay. They called her 
the little girl who lives down the lane. All alone in that big house. Who was she? And what was her secret? A lot of people wondered. Great movie. Uh, yeah, just a, like legit great movie for me. Uh, I think I... One of the things I thought when I first saw it was like, boy, this would make an interesting stage play because it's, with a few exceptions, it's basically one location and about four characters. And usually that kind of movie can be spotty to me, but this one is so totally uh, transfixing and just pulls me in. It's Jodie Foster. Um, she's in her younger years. Uh, she plays this like young girl who lives by herself in a house and there's some question as to whether or not her dad is around. Her mom is out of the picture and basically she's being sort of checked in on by the landlady and her creepy son played by um, (laughs) Martin Sheen in one of his easily creepiest roles. Oh yeah. It's so he outspader spader, man. Oh man. Big time. It's just like he's hopped up on something. He probably was, Yeah, but it, it is a really unnerving kind of scary performance like he he goes all in it's it, that's what i always remember this movie about you're a very pretty girl you know that pretty eyes yeah it's it's a it's a great he, he does a great job he legitimately mm-hmm. makes your skin crawl because basically the, the the young girl character she's 13 um and it's in maine she's living in this house and the 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 martin sheen character stops by and is gets not flirty would be being kind he's like he's just predator sort of like a predator he's just not cool um she also has a boyfriend played by scott jacoby who is in um bad ronald and some other stuff and he comes over and they have their own weird unique relationship um so there's a coming of age element to it but there's also this mystery element like where's her dad what's going on is he around um, what's going to happen with this Martin Sheen character? Uh, so there's this ongoing tension through the movie that I love, but it's in. I mean, Jodie Foster's never been uh, at this age, especially was never bad in anything. She's just another presence kind of actress, um, and she is remarkable in the movie and really carries off something that I feel like could not work uh, if you don't find the right person, like person kid like her to to be the center of it so genuinely creepy bordering on horror but not exactly horror uh but definitely a cult item and i'm so glad they put it out on blu-ray this is a first day pickup for me yeah that's it's a really great i didn't actually know they had put that out so uh i've seen it you know on an old dvd and i've always thought it's a terrific movie and i love your idea of it being a stage play i could totally see that and it being really probably even more intense because you'd be so concerned for the girl you know i I legit was like gonna look into the rights that's how Mm. where i was like oh man we should somebody should put this on because i would have seen it as a stage play it would have been great anyway Mm. that's how far into it i am with this movie yeah, that's great. Um, well, you know, that's a, a whole lot of show. We, you know, I think 
like we said, if you can say if you love any of the movies that whether we mention them or other films, if you're a collector, you know, let people know. I think it means something to throw that positivity back out there. We'd love to hear if there's some cool Code Red films that you're crazy about that we might not have seen because there's a lot of stuff in there. I still haven't made it through. Recommendations really help navigate through uh, having to watch some of the ones you might not love. Uh, <laughs> I, I would appreciate that. Uh, we definitely want to thank uh, Bill Olson for being part of things, which was awesome that he gave us this time. Uh, and just in wrapping up, uh, you know, so we're going to be coming back. Uh, probably it's about three weeks or so that we'll be off. We're going to be coming back the very start of July. July with our first episode of season two. Uh, hopefully this will tide you over a bit. Uh, thanks again to all the Patreon uh, supporters. And remember, if you are Jones and the PCP addict, the Jones and for your fix, there is a nice 90 minute episode just sitting in there uh, if you want to join up. And in closing, we want to thank the nowplayingnetwork.net. And right now, I definitely know we're both going to be willing to pimp uh, their new Directors Club episode, which is featuring one of our mutual favorite directors, Albert Brooks. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. Also, there was a Voices and Visions episode with Keith Gordon. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Definitely check Keith that Gordon. out. Keith Gordon's one of the best interviews. Every time I've seen him on a show like that or the projection booth, I'm always drawn to it. So he's a he's a great mind. So anyway, some good stuff happening on our home base network. We are thankful to them for supporting our crazy little show. Uh, thank you most of all to you guys, the listeners, and we will see you in a couple weeks. For your protection, you will be given the terror mask free at the entrance. We urge you to use it if the violence is more than you can stand. Thank you.